Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hello, guys. Welcome to another mini episode of Mother May Super Podcast. I know they're not mini episodes. I don't know what to do, <laughs> but I, I was like floating some ideas for other names for what we could call this because it's really just an off season show. It's not a mini episode, it's a full blown show. Um, but I appreciate you guys um, enjoying them and hearing all the feedback. I really love to hear from you. And today, I have a very special guest because if you've been listening for a long time, you know, I mean, it comes up almost every episode, me and Degrassi Junior High, Degrassi The Next Generation. The relationship there, it goes deep. It's a lifelong thing. And I woke up one day and I saw a guy tweeting about how all he wants to do is just get hired on Degrassi, run the show for five years, and then retire. And I was like, oh my God, same. It's been my dream my whole life. And I DM'd him and I was like, we should talk. I want you to come on my show. We have to talk to Grassy. I need someone to just get it out with. So we are going to talk about obviously the movie today, but please, this is, this is low key a sort of a Degrassi episode. Um, and if you don't understand that, I don't know what to do. My guest is James Alexander. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Um, you picked our movie today because I said to you, like, I mean, the real the real tea is for someone who's so obsessed with Degrassi, I sh- like certainly have probably a very limited experience with it. I, I mean, I was I did nothing but um, talk about Degrassi for about 30 hours a week when I was in college um, <laughs> for those key years. I was running a Degrassi message board, um, but I don't know much about the people that left after, you know, Emma was sort of a senior. I think that's when I sort of left the show. Yeah. Um, And I don't know about a lot of these new kids. And I saw the Netflix show, but I don't think anything really stuck out to me. So I asked James to go through the movies because we've had some Degrassi crossovers. We had Mr. Oleander in a recent movie. And then, of course, um, Miriam McDonald's Queen. She was in... Um, she's too young, which I almost wish that you and I could have done together because I mean, there's just so much there. Um, <laughs> but you picked this movie because one of the stars was also a Degrassi person. Uh, yeah. So Christine Prosperi, I believe it's how it's pronounced. I hope I'm not uh, messing that up. She came on to Degrassi in season, I want to say 11, um, and was there through 14. And she really, at least I would say, became a fan favorite. She was one of my favorite characters. Um, and I was a huge, I watched season 10. So season 10 uh, sort of correlated with when I was in high school. Uh, and okay. so that's kind of how I fell into that. And then I sort of quote unquote, got busy in high school. Uh, But then I circled back to the entire series when I was in college and fell in love with it. And that's what inspired my passion to be a writer and all that stuff. And so I watched it all the way through and just really fell in love with her character. And around that same time, 
a couple years ago, she was in a Lifetime movie, Murdered at 17. And, you know, I was quick to watch that just because I've, you know, I've, I'm big on following the careers of uh, Degrassi actors and actresses once they leave the show. Uh, I so want I them of, to succeed so badly. Right, right, exactly. And so getting to see her sort of um, really carry this and, 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 and I think if you've seen her on Degrassi and you see her in this, it's like you're sort of watching Imogen, who is a character she played, but in a completely different world because <laughs> um, she's so consistent. But she also makes it feel like a, a such a new character and a new experience and all that stuff. So she's just um, really great. I'm about to DM her on Instagram and see if I can get her to check this out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I hope we do it justice for her. I mean, these are definitely it's a loving roast of Lifetime movies. But I will say that about there was a moment. It was when she confronts her mom and her boyfriend about her little secret, which we will probably reveal in five minutes. So I don't know why I'm acting like it's a spoiler. But <laughs> she, it, I thought to myself, this feels like a sort of if Degrassi did a horror movie type thing. <laughs> yeah. And I, I sort of feel that way about the entire movie. And I think I, one of the things that I, and we can get to this if we get to it. But one of my favorite elements of um, this is the way that the score works. And because Degrassi was big on using scores, but in a different way. Uh, and so when you watch it, I, I love that you say it's very much like Degrassi sort of meets a horror. And um, and especially because you have young characters and, you know, in their world, it's kind of like that is all that exists and that's all that they know. And so, and you add on the things that they're all dealing with in this, uh, in this story. And so it's very much like Degrassi meets a horror or something of that nature. Um, I absolutely like, I, I'm so glad that you are who you are. I'm so thankful for you. I also thought that the music was really carrying a lot of weight in this whole thing. Um, Will you tell me a little bit about what Imogen's story was? Like, what was her beat on the show? Yeah, so Imogen, she came on, and I want to say she was one of those characters. I've, I can't confirm this for sure, but I'm actually have been very lucky to have been mentored by a couple of the writers and producers of Degrassi from over the years, uh, and so I've sort of got to hear some of the stories about, you know, characters that they wrote to come in that were sort of there for this purpose and then ended up becoming much bigger than they thought they would be. And I feel like she might fall into that category because she came on, as I said, in season 11, and she was sort of a, uh, she kind of fell into a, one of the lead characters story. So he was dealing with um, bipolar disorder and uh, had actually crashed his car for his girlfriend and this was the next season and now he was on meds and he couldn't feel anything and he was also a writer and so she was they put her into this place where she uh was almost like his muse but he was manipulating her to get to his ex-girlfriend and so when you watch murdered at 17 she again is playing a character who gets manipulated um but as the story goes she's also very quirky she's very um let's say optimistic. She's very colorful. There's one of my favorite storylines that they do for her actually is a little later and it's where she um stands up and fights the school's sexist dress code. And I love that storyline. And you also mm -hmm. find out, I would say her, excuse me if I'm going quickly, I'm sort of remembering all of her things at once. No, uh, I love it. <laughs> they gave her a storyline with her father and you don't, it was very much a backstory later thing. Like she was not one of the lead characters on the show, but I want to say it was in season 12 and you find out that her father is suffering from early onset dementia. And then you learn the backstory with her mother and that she left when she was younger. Um, and of course she goes through the whole thing of like, oh, you left him because you knew this was going to happen. And her mother was a nurse and she's like, no, there's no way any of us could have known that. But so they, they, sort of, it was, I want to say her most emotional story. 
And it actually involves um, the tragic death of her dog when her father runs over the dog in his car and doesn't remember it. And that's like the moment oh where she realizes God. that, yeah, that her, cause she was, you know, she was like a very, like very teen, like in denial. She was like, I can take care of him. He's going to be fine. He's raised me my entire life. I'm not going to live with you, all of that stuff. And then that happens. And it was sort of that moment where she realized, you know, it's not, I'm not abandoning him, but I'm, I can't do this by myself. Um, and it's, it's, it's really sort of a, um, Actually, the writer who wrote that episode is now running Katie Keene on a CW, and he's had a great career. But I, I love thinking about like who wrote those and where they've gone. But it was one of my favorite storylines that they've done, and it's it's hard to watch. It's 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 very sad, but she plays it. It's it's a really great performance. That's so interesting because as you were saying that, I was starting to think of a lot of the characters from when I was watching The Next Generation and how they were going through sort of modernized versions of what happened a lot on junior high. Right. right. And yeah. um, hearing that there's another character that went through at least like three of the things, bipolar boyfriend, that was Craig when I was watching, yeah. like there's mul- there's so many similarities there. And I, I have to, I kind of want to watch and see what they got right the next time around. Cause I feel like Degrassi does a good job of sort of, managing to cover things that affect people generationally and constantly, but then we'll come out with something really like, I mean, the dementia storyline sounds amazing. And um, that's sort of how I felt about Emma's turn on the show as well. Like I thought what they were when they pulled out sex bracelets and (laughs) blowjobs by the ravine, I was, my mind was blown. Like I knew they went there, but I didn't know they went there, there, you know? And um, I mean, I have to say, just historically, I'm a Manny Santos girl. I love her. That's my queen right there. Um, and uh, Alexa, Cassie's younger sister, I think is also a pretty active lifetime actress. Was she sort of the Emma of the scene that like, the age that you were watching? So Alexa Steele, I believe, and it's it's really yeah. her story is funny too. She started. As a tight, as a really little girl, and she played, um, was it Craig's sister? Yeah. And her her real life sister was the actress who played Manny. It, yes, one hundred percent. And then she comes back in season eleven as a character named Tori. Um, mm-hmm. And but it wasn't there was no connection to like she was playing a completely different person. Um, there was it wasn't like she was still Craig's younger sister. She was a new character. Um, they probably and, lost Joey. I'm sorry. What? They probably lost the actor who played Joey unless he's still on the show because that would have been another like that was a way to keep Joey in the mix um, in terms of like the older school people. He was um, Craig's stepdad. Yes. And I. Yeah. So he wasn't in the show at that point. But I know that um, him and Stefan, who plays Snake or Simpson, whichever area you're looking at, um, they're still very close. He's they, they do like to the grassy tours across Canada all the time. So he's still very involved, but he wasn't on the show at that point. Um, I'm not sure if that factored into that decision, but I do know that she was on the show for a short time. She I want to say she she was there for the back half of 11 and 12 and left um, in that space between 12 and 13. Uh, but yeah, so she, I mean, she's great. I actually did not know that she was also doing lifetime stuff. But um, but yeah, it, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the different generations and they they're sort of always at the forefront of things that are affecting teens. Uh, and the way that they do it is always different. And I love when you watch the way that they do dating in season three of Next Generation versus how they do it in season 13 and how social media is now involved and, and all of these different things that, 
you know, make, make each generation different. It's something that they always pride themselves in doing. So it's yeah, I mean, that. I have to say, I have griped about this on the show a million times. Like, I hate the way that the, like, the T, like, people on TV talk about the internet because <laughs> just also the nature of TV is that it takes a while to make, and the nature of the internet is that it moves very quickly. And I found it kind of remarkable how not cringe it was to watch um, the technology on the Netflix series. I was like, oh, this actually like flows. This isn't, I mean, the the titles all being hashtags, I didn't know if I like really jived with that, but I think I really loved them all being named after 80s songs. So that was a thing for me. But um, yeah, that's so cool that you're in touch with the writers too. I think when I was really at the peak of my interest and obsession with the show, um, I don't even think it was like, I mean, there was no social media. It was like 2000. Um, it was like 2002 to 2006. Mm-hmm. So there really, that didn't exist. And I think that I was just so crushed when I found out I would never write for Degrassi <laughs> that it just never even occurred to me to like, reach out to people who have worked on this show. I was just like, so crushed by it. Yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's really kind of a funny thing because I actually remember, um, I was <laughs> talking with, uh, um, a guy named Matt Heater, who I want to say started around season six or seven and stayed on a show through its Netflix, uh, iteration. And he was EP. It worked all the way up to EP, um, on the show. And he's, uh, one of the best people in the world. He's one of my mentors and I, he's, um, really talked a lot about how when he started, like writers would have to go to like websites like Boycott the Calf or whatever they were called. And um, I'm trying to remember, I think Television Without Pity was number one. And they would have to go places to read about their writing, what the fans were thinking. But as they got into like season 12, 13, they would just be able to follow, you know, on Twitter and see like which, and it was really interesting because they actually did a whole social media panel about how they sort of, how the TV landscape has changed because of social media. And they would talk about uh, you know, how they could all follow what ages on what platforms are, reson- you know, what stories are resonating with them and what they're sort of getting excited about and what's making them gasp and what's making them cry to the point where they would, they would even have parking lot parties and they could see the fans, you know, live reactions to what was happening. And it really helped them craft story as they move forward. Obviously, they're writing about eight or nine months ahead of where the audience is seeing. But, it, it you know, when you see people react to this or people aren't excited about this thing, it helped them craft story in the future. Yeah. Well. I'm so excited to get into this with you. Um, we're going to go through the movie beat by beat. I t- as I told you before, please interrupt me. I know that you took notes and I really value your insight. So please feel free to interrupt me. And remember, this is like a loving roast. So um, if at any point I roast someone you love, it's not it's not personal. It's just what we do here. Um so when this movie opens up, we open up on a teen guy driving at night. I mean, he looks like a teenager. <laughs> he drives into this underground lot and enters through the front door of a building that is, I have problems with this building, but he enters through the front door and he asks the doorman, Ben, if there's any new mail. And he says, no, but there's someone there to see him who he says is his. And she, he he trails off and he makes eye contact with this woman who's sitting in the foyer and she looks really down and out. Um, and you know, right away, these two have a relationship. It's probably his mother. Sure enough, it is his mother. He tells her like, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. 
And she's like, well, you don't answer any of my calls. And I, I had to see you. So he tells her, okay, let's, let's talk about this upstairs. So I'm going to play this first clip. Um, it's a very industrial apartment. It doesn't match the downs. None of this. We'll talk about that in a minute. Just this building does not match in any on any level of it. Um, this clip right here is 48 seconds to three minutes and 18 seconds. I told you never come here. Please don't be mad. I had to. Your father is very sick. He's been in pain for weeks, and unless we can come up with the money for pain the treatment, good. I guess my prayers have finally been answered, Jake. I hope it's unbearable. Please, you don't mean that. I know that in the past you and your father haven't been able to see eye to eye. <laughs> really, something, aren't you? You're right. We didn't see eye to eye. How could we? When I was getting the shit kicked out of me at five years old. He admits that he's made mistakes. Making a ten-year-old sit in scalding hot water for spilling juice on the floor is not a mistake. That is evil. And you sat right there and you watched him do it. You do not sit on my you sit on the floor. Sit on the floor! What's he have? He's got cancer. Oh, I can see him rolling around in agony. I, I promise you that if you could just loan us the money, then, then, then we'll pay it back. Oh, so it would be a loan. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll pay it back. You know, you didn't try very hard to give me a loan when I wanted to go to college. Oh, come on, that was fact, different. You didn't try it all. It was different. You didn't need college. Look at you. Look at this place. You designed an app and you sold it. You were this, this, this millionaire at 18. You're right. I made a million dollars off that app and I've made about six million cents. And I would rather <laughs> throw a hundred thousand dollars in that fireplace and watch it burn before I give you and Dad a penny of it. I hope that Dad dies a long, slow, painful death. <laughs> now get the hell out of my apartment. And if you ever, ever show up here out of the blue like that again, I cannot tell you how much you're gonna regret that decision. Okay, I mean, he told his mom to sit down on the ground. Like, <laughs> I'm instantly gripped by this villain. First of all, I always say I think the guys on this network are so, like, cheesy. <laughs> but I think I'm actually attracted to this guy, which is really disturbing. <laughs> well, it's very, I guess, in that sense, Joe from you. But uh, I, I do think it's um, your comment about the... Uh, exterior of the building sort of not matching i think the, the line about and i might be misremembering this but i don't think we actually see the fireplace when he says that um and i do think it would have been interesting yeah, yeah so if, if we sort of rotate if it is there uh and sort of see those flames getting bigger and bigger as he's saying that uh would have been an interesting choice but i do think it's 
one thing that I note right away is that we open obviously with him as opposed to um, with Brooke's character. And that's a very interesting perspective choice to make uh, as, you know, who we're following and who we're seeing things through. Uh, and, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, it, it does grab you <laughs> right away. Uh, yeah. I had the exact same reaction because it is strange when they open up on the villain um, and without spoiling it, cause I really want to hold off on this as far as we can. I mean, the end of this really <laughs> did something for me. I was mind blown by the way they ended this movie because I always sort of joke about how they have a very soft scene in the last like 90 seconds of the movie, usually where everything is back to normal and they did not go this route with this movie, which I thought was a real treat. I love it when they try to go a little bit dark. Um, but yeah, I mean, the building itself was very distracting to me because the way that the underground parking garage is built doesn't imply that you're going to see sort of this very like proper hardwood sort of old fashioned, very classic, I would say Philadelphia or probably in this case, Toronto. Um, but this is the second movie in a row we've covered that supposedly takes place in Philadelphia, but is um, actually Toronto, I think. And, um, you know, it, it seems like old fashioned. I mean, the, the guy who's running the door is dressed like an old timey butler. And, um, then you go up to the apartment and it's really sort of sleek and modern. And just none of these things seem like they could possibly be attached to one another. And I mean, this might be completely, um, not it but i don't know is that them setting up you know these two things that don't go together is what we're about to see i mean i don't i don't know that might be a bit of a reach but <laughs> i love i have to tell you you are a hopeful thinker the way i am like sometimes i try to write the movie for them where i'm like well i'm sure they meant this but like in reality these movies are shot in two weeks with no budget Right. A lot of local hires. I mean, that's probably like a hotel lobby being used as the building lobby and then whatever place they could rent off of Airbnb or whatever for <laughs> the actual apartment. But the apartment's very sleek and modern. I mean, this character is super enthralling. I had in my notes, like, they talk about $1 million as if it's a lot more than it is in this movie. And I kind of can't, like, I kind of can't believe him selling. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's majorly successful for an 18 year old to sell something that they invented, but I just thought a million dollars was such an unimpressive amount of money in the grand scheme of things, like compared to the lifestyle this kid is living. And I know he's made money since, but they talk about this like million dollar payday as if that would set anyone for life. <laughs> yeah. I had, I think the first time I watched it, I, bumped on that and i was like oh uh maybe 10 million um and, but i also think them making it an app is you know the his create he created an app that brought him this wealth was super interesting for his character specifically one being his age but two also looking at the fact that as and not to spoil anything specifically but we're going to see him as a super man manipulative person as the movie goes and having his backstory be that he created something 
that he put together that he controls and all of that stuff. And that's how he got into a position of power and then seeing where this goes. Um, I don't really know what apps, uh, what really successful apps go for. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I would have, I, w- I would not have bumped if they had said 5 million or 10 or something like that. Something. And then um, I also, you know, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm thinking too narrowly, but whenever it's like an 18 year old kid, doing something, moving a product for a massive amount of numbers, you would think that like it was fostered in them in the home to create something special. And I feel like we already know this guy was like extremely neglected and abused. So I was like, like, that's kind of interesting that he had access and and the power of and presence of mind to create a million dollar app while he was being you know, sitting in hot water because his parents were, I mean, he's a very confusing character. Um, so then we cut to a karaoke night at a bar and we see this girl singing a song and the lyrics are like, I'm sick of playing games. It's time to get down to what's real. Nothing's going to change the way I feel. Okay. The songs in this movie (laughs) are great. I love, I, the music in this movie for some reason cracks me up in a way that I haven't had a good laugh like this about the music in a while. Um, And there's nothing worse than watching someone sing a fake song during karaoke. Like, I feel like there must be like sing the national anthem or something like that. I would, that would make sense to me more than just a made up song. But yeah, so they're singing and we can see, you know, there's putting um, liquor from a flask into their drinks and then um, Brooke, our main character, she gets down from the stage and she, um, I'm sorry, her friend Maddie sits down at like a little banquette in the room and she picks up a phone and there's a text from a guy named Trig, T-R-Y-G. And right away she's pissed off. And so you don't know what's going on yet. But then her friend Brooke comes over and joins her and she's like, I just have a question for you. And Brooke's like, what's that? And she's like, how many men are there in Philadelphia? And she's like, I don't know, like a million. And she says, oh, so there's like a million guys. And for some reason, you have to be texting my ex. And, you know, right away, Brooke, you know, she's innocent because she is so confused by what she's being accused of. And Maddie gets up and throws the phone at her and tells her to go to hell. So at this point, she chases Maddie down and she tells her to stop accusing her of things she didn't do. And they're getting in this fight. And then all of a sudden, Jake, we see he's in the bar now and he spots them. So he stops to break up the fight and he decides, okay, I'm going to go for this one. So he goes for Brooke and he asks her if she's okay. He offers to get her a drink. She says that she's not 21 yet. And he says, I'm not either. So right away, it's like, he's, it's very obvious. This is like a guy who's powerful and rich, probably both at the same time. So then they're talking in a booth and she tells them that she's a senior at Bellamy High. She is a mom who has a boyfriend. Um, You know, at at this point, I don't know how old this guy is. So I'm like, what, why didn't he stop when she said that she's a senior in high school? Mm. I, 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 cause that comes right after he also says, you know, I'm, I, I don't know. I think when I, first well because when you first open on him i was thinking he was actually probably still in high school but quickly you realize okay he's probably not in high school but yeah it's that's uh actually a good question (laughs) well it's that weird age you know where it's like this guy could absolutely be 16 or 26 like there's that weird age where you're not really sure who your peers are but 
I felt like this was very Canadian in a way that they had these like high school girls in a club. This also felt Degrassi to me because they were always in sort of situations that seemed a little bit aged up compared to what you could get away with in the US. And I was just sort of blown away that this high school girl was somehow legally in this club and now illegally drinking um, in such a nightlife atmosphere like that. I don't think that I maybe I know I'm sheltered. I was sheltered, but there was nothing like this where I grew up. <laughs> That's interesting because I I usually comp Degrassi to one of those things that for the most part feels authentic teen, at least to me. And then I watch something like, let's say, Riverdale or one of those slightly or at least one of those shows that is about teens, but isn't played by teens or something like that. Because Degrassi was always, for the most part, very big on casting age appropriate, which is one of my favorite things. Um, me too. So I, I, it's kind of like one of those things where I'm sort of in the middle because I see teen shows where the actors are not only 30, but they're doing things that I've never seen a teenager do personally. And then there's this where it's like, hmm, you know, the guy comes over and you there's also that really cool scene where, or really interesting beat where the um, the guy comes to serve them and they obviously know each other. So we we, we get that Jake's this is like probably one of the spots that he's at the most. Um, and, you know, maybe he has a fake, maybe the guy knows it's a fake, whatever, but he brings them this really nice bottle of champagne and you get that it's expensive and this is sort of his place. Like he has the power here. Um, and so it, it, it is interesting how it plays into that. Well, how old are they and how realistic is this? Yeah, I mean, I I think they definitely like a Degrassi and a Riverdale. I mean, I was a huge Pretty Little Liars fan. And so... I know it can get pretty dark on teen shows. I always just, um, I thought of Degrassi of doing a good job of sort of showing sort of the more sweet and innocent sides of school, but also allowing the characters a chance to grow up. And I think one thing that always felt very like Canadian to me, because just the laws are different there around drinking, around nightlife and all that stuff. Um, I just always thought that they were in more like nightlife environments than anyone I ever knew in real life. And I feel, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is like a, a total part of Philadelphia where kids can go to karaoke bars that also turn into super clubs after a certain point at night. But um, this was like a very sort of plush nightclub. It went from them being in what looked like sort of a dingy karaoke room to the front of this place, much like Jake's apartment. I mean, maybe this is a greater metaphor that we're missing and not just strange location choices. But um, all of a sudden, they're like in the middle of Hollywood, baby. Like this club is like Le Do. Like it's very like, you know, it seems like if Jake is there, obviously chic people go. Um, and it's, you know, everyone there is hot and young and it looks like kind of a crazy scene. So we find out that her friend Keisha is like, hey, we're all leaving. And she basically says, like, I'm going to stay here with this guy. And the two of them are totally hitting it off. Um, I wouldn't, I would have been so won over by this. When I was 17 years old, if you told me like a hot guy who was clearly wealthy was going to be into me and like buying me champagne, I wouldn't, I would have gotten completely away from myself. I have to say, Brooke. Brooke was quite reserved compared to what I would think I would have done. <laughs> I, yeah. And it's, I don't know if that's, if we're, we're supposed to make the connection to the relationship that we see as the movie goes with um, her and her mom, but 
It is, but you also, and I think this is probably the very next beat where we find out the other part of, you know, the other side of Brooke. Um, so I won't spoil that because I feel like that's where you're going next. But but that is also something that I, I clocked as well. Yeah. Um, it, well, it's so, yeah, I have so much to say about that next thing. But um, we find out that Jake is from Kansas and he moved there. He left the house when he was 17. Um, he came to Philadelphia. He created an app and then made enough money to live for the rest of his life. And she asks him why he moved out early, but then before he can even answer that, the server comes over with the champagne, and that, of course, distracts her. Um, and then outside the club, they talk a little bit. She discloses some things I probably wouldn't disclose to a stranger. Um, this is about a one-minute clip. Um, I want you to also pay good attention to just the absurd background music. I know for the people at home, they'll love that. 7.50 to 9 minutes and 3 seconds. Okay, so you got to tell me what happened between you and your friend because, honestly, I thought you were about to break out the boxing gloves. What could she have done? Sleep with your boyfriend? No. Wreck your car. Her ex texted me, and now she thinks that I'm trying to get with him, but I would never do that. Oh, okay, so you just really don't like being accused of things that you didn't want. <laughs> no. I have this condition that I have to take pills for and the doctors haven't quite got the dosage right yet. What does this condition have a name? It's called intermittent explosive disorder, IED. I go into these rages and it can get pretty crazy. Is this your car? Yeah. All right, hop in. Let's go. And on the way, you can tell me the rest of that story. Okay. So, I was positive that IED was something they made up so that they wouldn't step in shit talking about another disorder. But sure enough, IED is 100% real. Um, but I have to say... And I don't know if you agree or not, but she never displays anger in any way that doesn't seem like a teenager just trying to stand up for herself. Like, I never at any point during this movie buy that she has this condition. We see no evidence of the way that this condition affects her life and why her friend wouldn't trust her because of this. Because apparently she has a disorder that makes her angry. Um, she can lash out more quickly. It basically escalates things in her head. But that doesn't mean that Maggie thinks she's going to phone her boyfriend now. Like, I'm so confused about, honestly, what this girl did wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, it's funny you mentioned that when I first watched it, I too thought that it was not, it was either something that wasn't real or it was something that was very uncommon because I hadn't heard of it. And granted, I watched the grassy. So you, you hear about a lot of different things <laughs> um, sure. over the course of that show. But like you said, lo and behold, it is a real thing. Um, it's so interesting that you mentioned the idea of like, well, what really does an anger disorder look like with a teen? Because teens and their emotions are going to be elevated anyway. Um, I, I, there's one scene where I sort of, I personally saw it in a, or I saw it 
display in a way where I could see that it was affecting her life. I will probably get there. So I'll save that for then unless you want me to give it now. Um, no, go ahead and say it. I, I want to say it's the scene right after the big thing happens, like the big incident in the middle with what he does. Uh, oh, yeah. She gets home and granted mother daughter argues are quite um, arguments are quite common. Uh, but it, it was because it wasn't a moment where her mom was sort of, we see her early in the movie sort of get on her about being on time and, you know, and being home at this time, blah, blah, blah. This wasn't one of those times. And they go through one beat of discussion. And then the mother says one thing and we sort of see her get super, it, it just feels quick. And I, I think that was the moment where I'm like, okay, I can see this. But to your point, it really wasn't something that I saw weave throughout the entire thing. Um, but uh, I mean, that's, yeah, it's a really interesting observation. I mean, that's just something I was looking for the whole movie. I was waiting for the outburst that would justify her thinking that she sort of has gone mad, you know, because that there, I never see anything. I think in these lifetime movies, I just have seen so many of them that teen girls are typically really bitchy to their moms in these movies and have a relationship I personally cannot relate to. Like I watch so many of these movies and think, Oh my God, I wouldn't have dared to spoken to my mother. Like I, I still wouldn't dare speak to my mom the way some of these teenagers do in these movies. So I, um, yeah, I, I found it to be, um, lacking in that department. I really was waiting for something else to like sort of justify this because I mean, if her behavior reflects IED, I probably have IED too, like based off this movie. I think I have definitely like, gotten mad at someone before for sure i mean she i don't know i i think shoving is obviously an indication that maybe your anger escalates quickly but based off of the way maddie came at her i'm like y'all are just like emotional hormonal teenagers with a common uh denominator which i believe was trig you know and so you have this there's clearly this thing that they've gone back and forth so it feels very sort of everyday their relationship (laughs) Yeah, but like, you know, on Brooke's end, I understand the confusion because she doesn't want Trig. Like, there's never even a moment where I think Brooke has considered Trig. I think that Maddie is like very insecure about their relationship, is doing that classic thing of taking it out on the other girl. They are best friends. So if you feel inadequate around your best friend, I can see projecting that onto her. But I mean... As far as Brooke's concerned, she at no point even feigns interest in Trig. She seems kind of repulsed by him, which I get. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Jake drove her home. Very bold of her to get into a car with this guy. And, um, you know, we find out that she told him the story um, about what happened. Um, and she says, yeah, she hit her head pretty hard. So then we flash back to the day where I guess the IED all started. She was at her cheerleading practice, they were trying to throw her up. I guess she's like a flyer or something. And they dropped her. She hit her head. And ever since then, um, the accident has slowed down the production of serotonin. And before she can even finish what she's about to say, he goes, I know what it does. It regulates your impulse control. So she thinks it's kind of cool that he knows this. They have this like little bonding moment that really only emotionally immature people have. Like this is the kind of thing you think is cool and quirky to have in common with another person when you're a teenager. And as an adult, you're sort of like, oh, we should probably each individually work on that and then maybe reconsider coming back to each other. (laughs) 
Um, so we asked her if she's on medication and she says, yes. Um, and she's not supposed to be drinking on it though. And he's like, well, neither of us should be drinking. So he's very, he has an answer to everything. He's very sly. So, um, you know, he says he has the same issues himself. He can fly off the handle and say really nasty things. And she goes, well, we sound like a couple of jerks right now, which is just so sweet and innocent. And, um, (laughs) He says that, you know, maybe to people who don't know them, but he thinks she might be sweet. He wants to take her out on a date. And she's really like surprised that he's even considering this um, just based off of what she just told him. And he says he doesn't scare easily. So they swap numbers. And right before she gets out of the car, he runs around and opens the door for her. So she walks inside and he's like in love. He looks into the sky and says, Brooke Emerson. Wow. So, um, yeah, I mean, definitely this bonding over their perceived same difference is very um, troubling. And what I think is really interesting, especially when I rewatch, Brooke doesn't seem to be taking it as seriously as him, which we know later is definitely true. But um, she sort of seems with it. She doesn't think that just because they had this magical night together that somehow they're more involved than they are. She's very grounded and it's classic love bombing in this movie. Like the way that things progress so quickly, it's exactly what you would think it would be based off of that first conversation in the car. Yeah. And I also think that we, it's, it's interesting how the pacing works with their relationship because I actually had a similar thought about Trigg's character, which um, because you, you mentioned that you had no, like you could completely understand why she was repulsed by him. And I also agree with that. Um, I, I was interested to wonder what it had been, what it would have been like if they had gone the other way with that. So if he was somebody who was still creating trouble, but was also at the same time, that person that you sort of can't resist in a, in a, in a way, whereas she had no issue resisting him. And it's sort of a similar thing with, uh, with Jake's character. She, you know, she knows there's something there, but she's not head over heels right away. Whereas he, as you mentioned, is like looking to this guy and thanking the gods and all that stuff. Um, so she, I think it's, I think we just see her in a bit more of a reality. And I think it maybe is also part of the experience of growing up as a young woman in society and knowing that, you know, there's, there needs to be more, it's, trying to figure out how to phrase this like there, there you have to take more caution a lot of times and guys do and so he's full you know full steam ahead and she's like well this was nice this was great i'll sh- sure i'll go on a date with you you know you kind of swept me off my feet but at the same time you know you we're not engaged now uh and so it's just it, it is interesting to see how she views that compared to how he does for sure um i was thinking you know this has a very common thing that happens in a lot of lifetime movies where everything sort of happened to Brooke. Like she happened to, you know, just be a girl and have her friend's boyfriend become obsessed with her. She happened to meet a guy at a club who wound up being, you know, not well. She wound up being in this accident where it sort of has changed the landscape of her mental health for the rest of her life. Um, And Brooke is like sort of more reactive than she is ever driving the story. Um, which isn't, you know, always common, but sometimes that is definitely a variation of a lifetime movie where, you know, they're the main characters a little bit more passive about what's happening to them. Yeah. And 
that's that's a great point because I think, and I think that's why when we see her make her first big choice, that is still very much reactive because of the situation that she's been put into. But it's still, I don't want to say super conscious because she's, you know, and we'll get there, but she's sort of in a state of shock when this happens. And she makes a very specific choice that's also a very teenage choice. I think it's why that moment sticks out. And it's one of the things that I sort of, um, I want to say, like, spotlight with her character in terms of her through line in the movie is because it's it feels like the first time where she is in a position where she makes this choice that at the same time was sort of pre-planned but she made the decision to go down this route um and, and i think it's really interesting that to your point it's things happen and she doesn't typically have a lot of say in these things and then she gets to that moment and she does uh to some extent and we see her do that thing so i think that's a great point yeah, I think it's just that thing that sometimes they leave you like wanting more where you're just like, oh, my God, I just wish that there had been this one scene, this one moment where she had some more like agency, you know. Um, but anyway, so when she gets inside, as we already talked about, she her mom is like pretty mild mannered about the whole thing. She knew her daughter was out. She was sort of just like, who drove you home? And she says it was this guy that's a friend of Keisha's. And she was confused about why Maddie didn't drop her off. That was supposed to be the plan. But she said that Maddie left early and that the two of them sort of got into a little bit of an argument. Um, And, you know, she's very, um, you know, she's just, she's just like, sort of like, get over it, mom, like, whatever. Um, So she goes off to bed. And then we see I'm going to play another short little scene. It's just a 30 second clip. Jake is talking to his doorman about Brooke. And this scene is great because Ben, the actor, is like, he's not really giving you a lot on the screen. Um, It he's someone I would call he's in that category of being in maybe a little bit of a different movie. Um, But the idea that Jake goes home and like downloads his doorman on the status of his dating life is so sad and so telling about this character. Um, so let's just play this one little quick clip, 1155 to 1224. Look, I'm, I'm telling you, man, it's like this girl, she is something special. And she is so just different from anybody that I've ever met. Yeah? How so? It's just, it's like... I get her, she gets me. It's like I've filled in that piece that's it's always been missing. It's it's like I feel like I belong and it's just I've got the right person at the right time. It's just wow. Okay. Um I mean, I this scene stuck out to me in so many ways cuz this is the only person Jake ever has a conversation with outside of himself and then Brooke. Like he never he never really voices his opinions to anyone but himself. He talks a lot to himself throughout this movie and just thinking about poor Ben and what's going on in his life where he just like goes and checks in to his job every night. And this really weird rich guy that lives there, he's like a strangely oddly rich teenager, treats him like his friend slash. I mean, this is how you talk to like your brother after a date or your friend like this is normally a conversation you'd have with almost anyone else other than your doorman and i I think that's it's 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 so funny that this is one of the beats that you hit with a clip because it's i think one of the moments where we actually truly get into 
Jake as a character in terms of how vulnerable he is. Uh, because to this point, it is a conversation you would have with almost anybody else, but he has nobody else. Uh, yeah. And I think that's, uh, at least that's when I watched it, I'm like, okay, there's obviously a very specific reason he's continuously talking to this person. And as you go through, you're like, oh, it's because he doesn't have anybody else to talk to. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of subtle how they show that this person has no one else. I mean, it's the only way outside of there's a quick moment at a house party she's going to take him to later where you see that he's just sort of no one anyone wants to fuck with. He's just that guy that's in a has a bad attitude or like a weird vibe around him and you just sort of avoid him. But yeah, like you kind of w- could watch this whole movie without that scene and never realize that he doesn't have friends. Right. Um, so that night he reads up about IED and it's a disease characterized as a lack of impulse control that leads to sudden outbursts of anger. And he says to himself, they don't understand you, Brooke. No one does, but I do. I know exactly how you feel, which is really dangerous thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So he wakes up in the morning and his entire bed is covered in like, printouts of Brooke's information, her social media profile pulled up on an iPad, photos of her that he's printed out overnight. Um, So the next day at school, Brooke asks Keisha if she can borrow her little black dress. Um, He's taking her to Wally on Main, which uh, Wally's on Main, which I'm sure we're, you know, as soon as she says it, you're like, oh, damn, I don't know what that is, but it sounds nice. (laughs) Um, So she's going to bring her the dress. And then that night, Brooke tries or the next night, Brooke tries on her dress in the mirror at home and then packs up an overnight bag with everything in it. Um, she's going to do the classic drive somewhere else and change. So she tells her mom um, and Alex, who are building a chair for her room, that she's going out to study and she'll be back around midnight. So her mom's like, you know, not a second later, but she's very good natured. I mean, Brooke's not on a short leash at all, especially for someone whose parents are so concerned about her. I mean, her mom we later find out is like very concerned for her well-being, but she kind of lets her go live a normal teenage life, which is nice, I guess. Um, So she pulls over and she changes in the bathroom at like a rest stop type place. And Jake waits for her at the restaurant. And as he's sitting there, he starts having visions of them in a car and she's showing him a wedding dress on her iPad. And she asks him what he thinks. And he thinks that they should fly to Paris that weekend and buy it. And um, she leans over and kisses him. And we see that in this vision of the future, they're engaged. Um, When I was her age, I probably would have loved for a guy to be this obsessed with me. (laughs) You know, it's kind of, I have to say, there's a sick part of me that watches this. And I'm like, I appreciate that she resists the temptation. Because like it, (laughs) when you're 17 years old, you know, you're an idiot. And you see this person come along with like a lifestyle that you could only hope to work your whole life to achieve. And, you know, he's ready to give her the world. Plus he's hot and he's got a great car. And like, I'm not even a gold digger, but like, I would fall for all of this shit, especially the really intense emotional stuff. Come on. (laughs) Um, So when she walks in, she completely takes his breath away. Then we cut back to, Brooke's house where Adam and her mom are putting the new chair in her room. And Adam mentions that it's bigger than the one that she broke. So that's like another sort of nod to her anger issues. But again, one of the only 
real mentions of what happens when she gets angry in this movie. Um, her mom's really just like distraught at this point because she doesn't think her medication's working. And, you know, she really honestly doesn't even recognize Brooke anymore. And Adam, I like that we sort of, in just a sentence, found out that Adam has sort of already raised his family and he has kids. <laughs> like he's clearly a divorcee or a widow or something and had a teen daughter 10 years ago that's now on the other side of that and is doing great. But he's like, oh, no, joy was a nightmare. So I kind of I kind of appreciated that Lifetime did that and didn't just make him some random. You kind of felt like they shaded something in there. Um, but yeah, uh, so Brooke and Jake are eating dinner. The place looks really nice. Um, and she asks him what kind of girls he normally dates. And he says that usually he only goes out with, you know, girls once. Like they're just, they don't really get past the first date. They don't understand him. And Brooke says that she thinks she understands him. She, and you know, he's like, oh, you definitely understand me. And I knew that the second we started talking. So he then excuses himself to the restroom. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, God, his crazy ass already has a ring in his pocket. Like, <laughs> so I thought this was going to escalate a lot quicker. Again, I'm so triggered by just like the, you know, sort of faux trauma bonding that these two are doing where he's really trying to get her to see herself in him and vice versa. So um Maddie and um, their best guy friend, Riley. Riley is like a hero in this movie to me. I really enjoy his character and I would watch like a whole Riley spinoff. <laughs> but they're doing homework together and he's trying to like convince her to give Brooke another chance because they've been friends since middle school. And Maddie's like, I'm just over it. Like, I feel like Trig has always liked her. He's always been checking her out. And Riley says that it's not Maddie's fault and she would never stab her in the back. But Maddie's not so sure. Um, and she thanks him for helping her out with homework. And you can tell that Riley just feels very strange about this whole exchange. It doesn't sit well with him. Yeah. And I think I also, in that moment, I'm wondering if he, because obviously they don't know about Jake yet, but he definitely knows about Trig and he knows about, um, you know, obviously Maddie and um, Brooke's history. And I love that you call him a hero in this movie because he, is is kind of the person that you wish that you, you sort of always want in your corner. And I think in some ways, if you look at the way it plays out, if you take him out of this, I'm not sure things end the way that they do. And so I think to your point about a spinoff, that would be, I'd be so on board to be staffed on something like that. <laughs> Cause like he is, you know, he's the guy on the cheer team. Like he has their back. Those are his girls. And like, it's not that just their friends. I mean, there's this, I don't know if you watch cheer, but there is like a, you know, a family built in that sort of thing. And he definitely like at there, he's so protective of these girls. And I, I just, I love it. Like, I love that they have him and I love that this character exists. And I thought the actor did a really nice job of sort of not being too heavy handed with it and like letting Riley have his own sort of attitude without being super serving to these girls and these girls only. Like I, I thought that lo that actor did a lovely job because that can happen too sometimes in lifetime movies where it's like the gay sidekick hero. And I felt like Riley seemed like a real character. Um, so yeah, at Wally's Trig walks up to the table and he's like a, 
busboy there, basically. And he asked Maddie if she got um, his text. And she's really uncomfortable. But then, of course, Jake comes out and the music swells um, right as he sees Trig. And he basically tells him to, like, fuck off and that the two of them can talk at school if they want to talk. But they're on a date. They're trying to have dinner. So he asks Brooke who that was. And she says that it was just um, it's it was the girl that she fought with's ex. And she doesn't know why he texted her um, at all. And Jake says that they should just forget about him and get dessert. But it's very obvious that Jake has no intentions of forgetting about him. (laughs) (laughs) The music tells on Jake at every turn. Yeah, and that's it's absolutely my favorite part of the movie because not only does it does the music sort of signal the dramatic, let's say, shifts of each moment or each beat, it also sort of tells the it, it gives the audience or whoever is watching that platform of okay, I'm watching this in this way because it sometimes the music is very I don't want to say sweet, but it's calming, and then it, but it's more often so foreboding for lack of a better word and so it it sort of shifts your perspective of how okay it's like now this is going in this way and you get that very because i think it starts right when we open on jake's character so every time that that resurfaces as we go it really kind of shifts your entire perspective of how you're watching the scene you sort of turn on defense mode which ironically is what you're kind of wishing she would do as you're watching it um and so it's kind of ironic how that plays together I mean, it's just class. I mean, it's what music and movies are, it's meant for. Like that, that is <laughs> how music wound up in movies is it completely guides you throughout this whole thing. It's like, in case you're unsure how to feel, right. here's this like sort slightly intense moment. So after the date, Brooke tells Jake that this is the best date she's ever been on. And I believe her. Um, he takes her by the face and he gives her a kiss by the valet station. And when Brooke gets home to her room, she sits on her new chair and she's just swooning. She's like saying to herself, Jake, Jake, Jake. Wow. So Trig, poor little Trig, gets out of work and walks to his car. And Jake comes jumping out of nowhere with like a fully black suit on and a face mask and hits him with a tire iron and he takes his wallet uh, with him. So Trig is definitely alive, but he's struggling quite a bit when he gets up. So then Jake is at home um, looking up a part that you can buy basically to jam an engine and be able to access it without having a key to it. And um, at the time, I thought this was like a GPS, which would make a lot of sense for his character. But then I finally realized what was going on here. And it's kind of um, for fifty eight eighty nine. I thought this was an interesting purchase on his part. I mean, I felt like there's probably easier ways for him to accomplish what he wanted to. Anyway, but so later, Brooke is at cheer practice and she checks her texts after and she has seven texts and four missed calls from Jake, which she's like, Jesus Christ, when she sees this. Um, whereas I think when I was that age, I would have been like, oh, my God, he <laughs> likes me so much. Like, he can't wait to talk to me, um, which is another reason why I say you know, you're right. Like women in general, we have to be more protective of ourselves. But I think it's so societally like built into us to have that Prince Charming type character come along. I don't think you ever really grow out of the idea that that would be a magical thing to happen. And so I was just sort of impressed. I think the way that I Zoomers in general impress me where they're just not too daydreamy about that stuff. They clock it for what it is. And 
Lifetime really doesn't ever acknowledge that there's people out there like that. They always sort of play to the very conventional teen. So I thought, I thought this was interesting. Um, so then she goes into the locker room to try and talk to Maddie and win her back. Um, and then we're going to play this scene and play through to the next scene where she finds a little surprise by her lockers. Um, 2058 to 2247. Please don't tell me to go away. I'm sorry for blowing up at you at karaoke. But there's nothing going on with me and Trig. I promise I would never do that to you. I guess you didn't hear. Trig was assaulted and robbed last night as he was leaving his job. What? That's horrible. If there's anything I can do... Maybe you need to up your medication. Seriously. Brooke. Jake. What are you doing here? You didn't respond to any of my calls. Yeah, I've been at practice since 7.30. How did you get on campus? Must look like a student because I just walked right in. <sighs> look, I'm not trying to bug you or anything. I just, when I didn't hear back from you, I wanted to make sure everything was okay. Yeah, everything's fine. I just can't answer you back when I'm at school. Yeah, but I mean, come on. A quick text. How long does that take? I would have answered you eventually. When? <laughs> when I have time? So this is a game to you? You want to keep me by the phone waiting, wondering if you're pissed off or not, trying to be the one in control? No, not at all. This is me having a life. What's coming? You were like every other girl. You want me there to pay for a nice night out, but then you want to just respond when you have time? Jake, what are you talking about? You're the one who called me four times in an hour. That's obsessive. That is a relationship, Brooke. And if you don't know how those work, then stay out of them until you grow up. Brooke, is everything okay here? It's whatever you want. Wow. I mean, <laughs> advocate for yourself, honey. Um, that was, uh, again, I was super impressed by how she handled that. Um, I, I mean, I would say my, the thing that I would be surprised by the thing that I would bump on as a teenager where I'd be like, what's wrong with you that you think we're in a relationship after two dates? Not because that's outlandish, but because guys aren't like that. Like most guys aren't dying to jump into a relationship. So I'd be like, wait, am I being like pranked? Like what's going on? I have to say there's, <clears throat> excuse me, the way the thing I bump on in that scene, and it's, it's not, it's not specific to lifetime. It's not specific to anything in the teen genre, but I, at least from my personal experience, when you watch a conversation, especially or an argument, something that's heated, and both people will say each other's names multiple times. I've never witnessed anything like that in real life where it's Brooke, Jake, Brooke, Jake. And it's it's one of the funniest things. Every time I watch something like that, I'm like, do people actually, or it's like when you're watching something and they're like, come on, brother, I need you. And it's like, I've never heard anybody say that in real life. It's just because you know their, their relationship there. But so every time I listen to that scene or something like that, I'm, I just it's just something that makes me laugh. Oh yeah, no, totally. It's like in case you missed it, these are their names. <laughs> I um I definitely I found out that I have a habit of 
calling people by their name in serious conversations. Someone once said to me, like, it scares me when you say my name. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm like addressing you. Like, I'm making sure that you know this is being said to you. Um, <laughs> but it was, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was a lot. Like, if anyone didn't know that that was Brooke or Jake down the hall, that was them. <laughs> I feel like this is another, like, a little opportunity because this was probably the first time that I really felt like I got a good look at Brooke just in terms of seeing her face in, like, the light and, um, again, you know, she is cast in this, what seems to be age appropriate, which is a thing that, you know, we, we both agree is amazing about Degrassi. What I also loved about Degrassi was that they didn't really typecast people in a way that you would expect. Like, um, I feel like the actress who's playing Brooke looks like a normal girl. She looks like someone who, if you saw her at the mall, like you'd be like, Oh, that's a pretty girl. If someone said like, what do you think of her? Like, is she pretty? Um, which I feel so creepy about because she's playing a teenager. But you'd be like, Oh yeah, she's pretty, but she's not like a, a cartoonish ingenue type girl. Um, and I always loved that about Degrassi that like, um, Lauren Collins, who played Paige, like she's not the traditional sort of, popular girl in Hollywood casting. And I always liked that they did it that way on that show. It's one of the things that almost anytime I talk about that show, it, it's, it felt like you were watching real teenagers. And I think that dives deeper into why I love age appropriate casting is because when you look at, if you look at season one of the next generation and you're looking at Paige, you're looking at, I think Spinner is probably the best example. Um, yeah. And then you look at Spinner in season, cause he was there through season nine, I think. Like he's one of the longest tenure characters. And yeah. you put their faces side by side and what they looked like when they were 12, 11, 13 versus what they looked like when they were 19, 20 leaving the show. And it's like the best part about that is you got to watch them grow up, right? You see them actually grow up. And it's, I think it's funny because you mentioned that Manny is, is your favorite and she's got to be in like my top 10 of all time as well. But Cassie actually, she lied to them about her age when she auditioned. They I know. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's just so funny, but that's what you get when you have that age appropriate thing. You get to, a lot of the actors say that it was like having, it was like going to a second high school because they were that age. They were also in, you know, either homeschooled or in a real high school. And then they were coming to set and also feeling like, you know, it was like another high school type environment. Uh, and so, yeah, it's definitely when you look at, Christine and or Brooke's character, you're like, yeah, she doesn't stick out as somebody that's almost too pretty to feel like a real person or or however you want to phrase that. But she feels like somebody that you walk down the street and you see and you're like, oh yeah, they're attractive kind of thing. Um so yeah. Yeah, yeah I um I was stuck in like a weird I mean, my YouTube algorithm tells on me constantly. It's constantly <laughs> telling me who I am. And I had a bunch of Degrassi like first season auditions pop up. And it was basically I'm sure it was ripped from some DVD. And I also watched a bunch of like extras from behind the scenes on Degrassi um, that I know were from like Noggin back when it was the end was running yeah. that between seasons because Degrassi was sort of like a breakout hit for them. I don't think they expected Degrassi to be their big show. Um, and, you know, these kids, like, they're, it's just sort of like the only way to do it if you want to make an authentic show. Because, like, they're, you know, they're awkward. They are, like, you know, they're just what you are when you're that age. And it made the show. And I think, 
again, another great thing about sort of not casting by sort of stereotypes of what you think that character would look like. It really allowed you to love the personality of the character and like really appreciate what sort of gave them that status at the school based on their attitude, which I thought is like such a subtle but important lesson. Like it wasn't, oh, the like the most pretty girl is obviously the most popular. One of the most outcast girls at Degrassi when I was really loving it was Ellie, who was gorgeous, you know, and she was sort of like a loser. So I, I, I do love that Degrassi was always really equal opportunity with that. They seem to always pick actors that would make their characters shine. And it's it's funny you mention Ellie because Imogen's character, who was played by Christine, who plays Brooke in this, I often will comp to that generation's Ellie. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, it's really, I meant to say that earlier, actually, and it slipped my mind, but it's, it, that's a great comparison. If you, if you're, to me, if you're looking at how they sort of play in the high school ecosystem of the show. Um, yeah. So then, um, you know, Brooke walks to her car after school um, and she sees a note on the dashboard. Of course, it's from Jake. So he's saying he's sorry for upsetting her and to give him a call when she can. So course like a creep he's watching her from his car and then his phone rings um she went through with it she called him he apologizes to her again and he says that he made some you know she's like well you like said some really shitty things to me today especially implying that I'm only with you for your money and he's like I know I didn't mean it I was just upset of course the cycle of abuse really starts to establish itself here and he asks her for a second chance and she says she's gonna really need to think about that and she'll call him later So she drives away from the school and he follows her home and he gets the device out of his car that he had purchased online, this thing that's supposed to disarm the locks, and he puts it up under her wheel well. So then Brooke's mom is chopping tomatoes. I love that it's always like a comical amount of food (laughs) for the people in the family. Like there's no, that's two people. She's got like six tomatoes on this cutting board. So She's shopping at these tomatoes and there's a knock at the door. It's Jake and he's dressed in a suit and has some flowers with him. She seems thrilled to meet him um, for someone who was questioning of him a couple of days ago, which I think, again, I kind of really like her mom. I think her mom really goes to bat for her in a way that I guess you're, you know, speaking to what you said earlier about how she sort of has an edge with her mom when she comes home from the club. I think that that how nice her mom is later makes it so obvious that that her reaction was disproportionate. Her mom's not like a hard ass. She's a really sweet lady. Yeah. So, um, you know, she, he has flowers and he says, um, you know, before he can really say much more to her, Brooke sees him come in and he, you know, just said he's swinging by to bring her some flowers. Um, mom excuses herself because uh, her dinner's going to burn. And he says, you know, whatever you're cooking smells really good. So, and, she also doesn't buy too much into this compliment, which I also like. She isn't totally won over. She's not a, like she's not a crazy person. So he asks Brooke if she's pissed off that he brought her flowers because, you know, he can always go home. He can take his flowers. And she's like, no, I like the flowers. And, you know, if you want to stay for dinner, you can. So just like that, that's how you get them. Guys, that's how you get them. You show up, but you you just don't take no for an answer and keep these, you know, gigantic gestures coming through. I mean, that's insane. When you're 17, thinking about a guy rolling up to your house in a suit with flowers, like, how could you not? So 
he starts raving about the food over dinner and you know, he says he hasn't had a home cooked meal in a really long time, which leads Brooke's mom to ask like, what's the story with his family? And although we never saw him tell Brooke any of this, she clocks that it's a lie when he starts to tell her mom that once he sold the app, he gave most of his million dollars to them as a thank you for raising him. And they're just sort of retired doing their own thing. So Brooke walks him out to the car and asks him why he made up that stuff about his parents if it's not true. And he says that he thought it was a lot better than telling her that they locked him in a closet when he was growing up. Which I guess, you know, that's his experience to try. I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like being saying, hey, they locked my parents locked me in a closet. That's why I don't know good spaghetti. For me, I don't know. Is that worse? I think it's I think the lie of saying that you've set them up for retirement is a lot easier to um, is a lot more difficult to backtrack on. I think I think there's a line in there where he says I something like along the lines of I didn't want to ruin the dinner. I didn't want to like ruin the mood or something. But it's it's it. I, I read it or I guess watched it as trying to avoid any red flags on her part, on the mother's part, I mean. Uh, and, and I don't know if in his mind that, because I, I know a lot of people who go through things, they they blame themselves for it. And then they they don't disclose it because they are scared of how that's going to be perceived by other people. But he's also coming from a point of, you know, it feels very, and that's the one thing that's interesting about his character, especially in this scene, he feels very vulnerable, but at the same time, you know what he's doing and you know how dangerous he is. So it's this really weird sort of, line that his character toes um that i think keeps you on your feet as a viewer but you know what he's doing but you also sort of don't exactly know why he's doing it yeah i mean that's always a tough thing with a character like jake because you know at on one hand you you're if you're a naturally empathetic person or even just a regular ass person, you look at someone like him and you think, oh my God, he must be moving through the world with so much hurt. Like you don't, a person isn't born like this. This is something that happens to a person. And then on the other hand, you're kind of just as a movie watcher, you're thinking to yourself, I mean, is he supposed to be like a quote unquote, like sociopath? Like, is everything he says a manipulation? Is he his own bottom line? Or is there someone that's really hurt in there? Because he definitely plays both sides of it. And it's difficult to really identify if he is a truly broken person, or if he was, you know, broken from the day he was born. I'm very fond of one of my favorite things to ask, especially with character work, or I guess people in, in real life as well, especially now, uh, is um, like sort of that, that sentiment of, are you doomed to become your parents? Or even one of the things that I love even more is that some people don't have a chance, like when they're from the moment they're born, whether it's environment, but more who you're born to, like some people just don't have a chance. And I think that is a theme that it's some somewhere is buried and embedded within his character because you and as you get, you've mentioned that you love how this ends and I'm sure we'll get there, but like it comes full circle. And, and I think going back to my earlier point of it's so interesting that we open on him because you're telling us that essentially he is the one that we're going through the world with in some sense. Uh, and we're seeing things through his point of view as well. And then you get to these moments and you're like, okay, it's even more interesting that we opened on him because we are supposed to sympathize with him to some extent. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but it feels like that's the intention. 
I love that you put it that way because like those words have been sort of echoing in my head for, I mean, a while now is a greater thought, but more specifically very recently, just like, oh, they didn't have a chance, dude. Like they, there wasn't a chance like this person wasn't going to come out like screwed over somehow. Like it's, that is something that I've been thinking about so much with certain people lately where it's like, God, you know, it's so heartbreaking. Like what a waste of a life, you know, it's such, it's so terrible that so many people are raised in situations where, I mean, you know, fucked if you're getting out of this, you know, like there's no way it's, um, it's really, it honestly is one of the things that scares me about having a child. Like, I'm always like, I don't know. I don't, I would, I would die if I raised someone who didn't have a chance, you know, that would, I just couldn't be responsible for that. It makes me so sad. Um, but yeah. Um, okay. So she said she's not going to dump him. And he says that's good because he was working on an app to stop her from doing that. And he says, you know, can he see her on Saturday? And Brooke tells him that she's going to a party that night. And he sort of says, like, can I come? Um, and she lets him know that it's actually going to be at Riley's place, the guy that she he kind of accosted the day before at school. And he says, you know, I, I really I want to go to that because I think I owe him an apology. So they decide to go to this party together. Already, I'm nervous for her. Like, it's always weird when you're bringing someone into your group, especially when it's all people you go to school with. Like, did you go to college? Yes. Okay. You Like, did you ever bring, like, a friend from high school to your college to, like, come hang out? I actually did not. And I think it was because I couldn't get past the idea of how that would work. Right. Um, he, like, it's so... <laughs> It's like they live in different universes, right? And so I feel like this is sort of the equivalent of that. Or like when someone you knew in high school, like had an exotic boyfriend that went to a different high school, exotic because he was from two towns over. You know what I mean? Like that was, it's just um, such a strange age to introduce new people to the group. And um, it's it's also funny that you mentioned the party because you mentioned you're like, uh uh-oh. And I think you can say that same sentiment for any teen show or movie or book that's ever had. Anytime there's a party, like ever, you know, that's yeah. going to go awfully wrong. Um, and so it's like going into that moment, it's like, okay, well, we know this is going to end terribly. It's just, how is this going to happen? And it kind of hits your point, your earlier point about things happening to her. Um, and, and obviously, we're, we'll, you know where I'm going with this, but we'll get there. But yeah, so it's, it's just anytime there's a party, it's going to be a disaster. So. Brooke walks back inside and her mom and her talk a little bit in the kitchen. Um, and she says that, you know, Jake is great. And Brooke like sort of nods a little bit when she says that. And her mom's like, is there anything else that I need to know about him? And Brooke's like, no, no, I think he's a good guy. But right away, we know that like, she is not, she continues to not be sold on this guy being Prince Charming. Um, so she sleeps that night in her bed and Jake is outside getting the little device he put in her car off her car. He then uses it like he unlocks the car and he uses it to use the garage opener to get inside, which I was like, okay, maybe you are a genius. Like I wouldn't have thought (laughs) I wouldn't have thought to do that. Like I just thought you were tracking her or originally when he bought it, I thought he was going to 
kill Trig with it or something. I did not see it going this way. So her mom hears the garage door opening and decides to check it out. And she does the absolutely maddening thing that happens in every movie. And I think happens like three times in this movie where she decides to go investigate it herself downstairs in the dark. Um, and she looks around. She doesn't really see anything. She goes out to the garage and like flicks the lights on, does a quick scan of the room and then decides to go back upstairs. But Jake at that point is already hiding in one of the rooms she didn't check, which is the downstairs bathroom. So once she heads up to bed, Jake comes up the stairs like a damn predator and sneaks into Brooke's room. And he's watching her sleep like it's the most beautiful thing this man has ever seen. Like he has never seen something so precious happen in front of him. So he goes home later and is looking at the pictures he took of her sleeping. And he has this sort of like daydream flash forward moment about the two of them having hot dogs on the porch with their future kid. (laughs) Um, And it actually made me want a hot dog. I feel like, by the way, though, if you listen to this podcast, I crave hot dogs a weird amount. Like I can track where I'm at in my life based off of how often I'm talking about hot dogs on this podcast. Um, But yeah, so the next morning, Brooke has made her mom a big cup of coffee and She's being extra sweet because she wants to spend the night at Keisha's, which you and I know is a cover for her to go to the party that night. And her mom's like, well, you have to promise me you're not going to be sleeping at Jake's. And she's like, you know, no, no. And by the way, I think he's way more into me than I am into him. And her mom's like, go ahead, go sleep at Keisha's tonight. So, you know, again, this is another set of like major props to Brooke's mom because I I mean, no way. If I even had a boyfriend and then just asked my mom if I could sleep out of the house in like sort of a suspicious timeline, there'd be no way I'd be leaving the house. Are you kidding me? Like, absolutely not. Um, And her mom even sort of is light about it when she says like, are you going to be staying at Jake's house? Like she's not coy, but she definitely doesn't, she's not super threatening. So again, you know, for someone who's supposedly a very troubled girl, she has kind of a long leash. but anyway, uh, she packs up a bag in her room. She takes, uh, she picks up her bottle of medication before she leaves, but she decides not to take it. So then we go to the party that night, and Jake apologizes to Riley. And after they've been drinking a while, um, we're going to hear a second scene when Brooke goes inside and Trig approaches her. Let's play 3419 to 3744. Hey man, look, honestly, I just, I know it must have looked weird the other day when I showed up at the school, so I just wanted to apologize. Don't have to apologize to me, man. As long as Brooke's okay, so am I. She is. Maddie's here with Trake. She seems okay, but I can't believe she went back to him. Do you think it's a pity thing? No. Good for them. Okay. Shot? Thanks. Goodbye. Goodbye. I'm out. 
up. What happened to you? Are you okay? Yeah, I'll be fine. In a month or two. Can I talk to you about Maddie? Honestly, whatever is going on between the two of you, just keep it your business. Like, she's not even talking to me right now. All I'm trying to say is if you told me today that you wanted to give a shot with me, I would dump her in a second. What? That is so weird and shitty. Why are you even with her? Because you're with that douche. I would never do that to my I knew friend. It. You're such a liar. What? I can't believe I was going to give you another chance. And you, all that crap about how you want to be back and how sorry you were? What was that about? You should be mad at him, not me. It takes two, Brooke. Can you not do this? Do you remember what happened last time? You know what? If you want him, you can have him. He's a loser anyway. Stop accusing me of shit. You've always wanted to sleep with him. Fine. You two deserve each other. No, what? Screw you. No, no, I hate her. I hate this bitch. I need another drink. Oh. Brooke. Ditch all of these losers. Let's get out of here. They're not losers. They're my friends. Yeah, great friends. All she's done is fight with you, and everyone's just crowding around her. She's some old damsel in distress. Let's just go back to my place. No, you go. I'm staying. Look, listen to me. You're wasted right now. You have no clue what you're saying. I know how to take care of my drunk girlfriend. Jake, I am not your girlfriend. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Stop trying to run my life. Look, I'm trying to do what's best for you right oh, now. Oh, you? My mom, everyone knows what's best for me. Well, you know what? I know what's best for me. I know. And I don't need you, okay? I'm done. Please just stop being an idiot for two oh, seconds. Oh, now you're just calling me names? Me. No, seriously, Jake. Get the hell out of here, okay? I don't need you. Just leave me alone. Everything okay? Yeah, I, I think she just needs to sleep it off. That's fine. She can stay here. Okay. That's fine. She can stay here. I fucking love Riley, dude. I love him. The way he says that, he's like, no, I've got my girl. That's fine. No big deal. Nothing of it. Not overly protective. Just aware of what's going to happen, which is that he's got his girl's back. Don't worry about it. Like, perfect. Perfectly acted by Riley in that scene. I I love it. I, I have to say I love... um there, there are a couple things I really love about Brooke's character and Christine's acting in that moment. I love, uh, when right after he calls her, uh, an idiot, she doesn't say, she doesn't really directly, I just love the way that she calls it out. She doesn't say like, what did you just call me? Or did you just call me an idiot? She says, oh, now you're calling me names. And I, I don't know why that, that stands out to me, but it makes to me that something that it's like when a six year old says like, stop calling me names or something like that. And it feels like it grounds her character as the young girl that she's really still truly is. Like, it's not like she's going off on him in this and she's directly addressing that. She's like, oh, now you're calling me names. And it just, I don't know, there's something about that that just stood out to me. And it sort of, for me, grounds her character and shows how young she like still really is. Well, and it also, in a in a strange way, it's like, it's untainted the way she says it. Because as children, we're taught not to call each other names. And then as adults, things can sometimes get a little bit muddy. And the boundaries of how it's okay to talk to people can get really twisted. And, you know, it's not just that you know, it's not about the name with her. It's that he just called her a name in general, which is actually a really, that's something that a lot of adults 
unlearn at a certain point that it doesn't matter what the name is. It's that you're just being called a name. You're being yeah. spoken to in a derogatory way. Um, I got to say, you know, she doesn't deserve what's about to happen to her, but Maddie is kind of a bitch. Like, I think Maddie is has more of a personality problem than Brooke does, if I'm being perfectly honest with you. I kind of can't make sense of her character and how the two of them were ever really friends um, because she seems so deeply jealous of her, but there also seems to be some other sort of resentment like I wonder if she turned on her after she got her diagnosis or what it was but it seems like Maddie's ready to blame Brooke for all of her problems and her behavior if anything is the more erratic of the two I mean she just sees them talking and right away is like oh I knew it I knew I couldn't trust you yeah I think that's a great point it was one of the things that um like if I were to uh one of the, I would have loved to see sort of not even a status quo prior to the accident, but just I don't really think we ever get a moment between Brooke and Maddie that shows us that true, you know, that that friendship since middle school thing. Like even even if it's something like finishing each other's sentences or like that, whatever that thing that they do that, you know, you can tell how some how long somebody's they've known each other or how close they are or whatever. Like, I don't even think we truly get that. I mean, I think we get a solo scene with Maddie and um, Riley early when they're doing homework. And we don't ever get that moment with her and Brooke. And I, I don't think we do. Um, and I thought that was um, I, I wonder if the you I wonder if that dynamic between them would have hit a little bit harder or deeper or had, you know, that knife felt like it would have turned a bit more, no pun intended. Um, yeah. if we had seen just some part of what made their relationship so great in the first place. Um, I completely agree with you. I think we needed, I mean, all we got really from that Riley scene was just seeing that Riley doesn't really necessarily agree with who Maddie is as a person right now, but, um, he's still pretty silent about it. I mean, also in that clip I just played is one of my favorite moments and you can't see it on the podcast but I'll tell you when Maddie goes inside and it's just Jake and Keisha by the pool Keisha just gets up and goes and talks to someone else and that if that doesn't tell you it's not in a mean way she just is like not interested and if that doesn't tell you exactly who James is as a character or Jake is as a character nothing else will like literally nothing else it's kind of iconic she just like it's such a slight move but you realize he's the guy at the party that you don't really have anything to say to unless you're talking to someone who knows him yeah at first I'll seem like uh, what did I do but <laughs> uh, no, no 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 I did though I have to say no, um, no shade to your name because I think it's very distinguished. But there was a couple times in this movie where I felt that Jake looked like a James to me, and I wrote his name as James in my notes. <laughs> that's that's great. It's also I, my cousin's. I think it's a very strong name, but I think it's um, he's also like debonair enough to pull it off. I think Jake. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a fuckboy name for a guy that's so established. Jake gets in his car and he's like pissed off because, you know, he got thrown out of the party, but he quickly reasons with himself that it's going to be okay because he's going to figure out a way to keep Brooke. So we go back to the house party and Maddie is now super, super drunk and hobbling around upstairs and she sees Brooke passed out in the bedroom and she says, you know, to her sleeping body, she's like, you know, you're a bad best friend. And Trig was, you know, my boyfriend, not yours. And why can't he just like me better? So it's very obvious that she is 
just so insecure about Brooke. And um, she gets in bed next to her and tells her that she just loves Trig and like passes out. So then Jake sneaks in through the back door of the party and he starts walking up towards the bedrooms and he sees the two girls passed out on the bed and he whispers to Brooke, we were perfect for each other. Why can't you see that? Um, and then he clocks Maggie sleeping next to her there. And we cut to the backyard where we see that there's still some people up. In particular, Riley is in a group of people that seem to be lighting up like a fat joint or something. Um, and then we see Jake in the kitchen. He finds a knife in a drawer and heads back upstairs. And I knew where this was going the first time I watched it. And I hoped it wasn't going there, but it did. Um, so he whispers for Brooke to wake up when he gets back to the room, but she doesn't. So he heads over to Maddie's side of the bed and he says, I'm sorry, Brooke. And he stabs Maddie to death. Um, and Maddie wakes up to see who killed her, which is just so sad to imagine like the last moments of your life being so confused about why this random guy, your friend is dating is killing you. Um, so the next morning when Brooke wakes up, she's, you know, groggy. She's out of it. She's hungover. And, um, she feels something strange in her hand and it's the knife. Um, then she looks over next to her and she sees that Maddie is dead. And of course it all hits her at once that she might've stabbed her to death. So she, you know, can't understand why any of this is going on, but she starts to call 911. And then she, when she picks up her phone, she realizes that there's photos of Maddie stabbed on her phone already. So she starts wondering, oh my God, did I do this? She washes her hands and says, you know, to herself in the mirror, I couldn't have done this. There's a lot of characters talking to themselves in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. So she uses a pillowcase to hide the knife and she's just sobbing at this point. Um. Yeah. She decides to make a move. So she covers up Maddie with the blankets, gets her purse in the kitchen, puts on a hoodie that belongs to Riley and runs to her car with the knife in the pillowcase and drives home. And when she gets inside, we see Jake drive past the house. I don't know how Jake does it, honestly. The man seems tireless. <laughs> and that was the first reaction. I was like, does this dude ever sleep? Like, I don't understand how, I don't think he, I don't actually think, he, there was a one night where we obviously saw him wake up. But other than that, he's like, he's always in that car and he's always on the move. Like, that dude is on the go. He also seems like someone, though, even though we see him drink, it seems off character to him because he seems like someone who would be so controlling that he couldn't even enjoy a drink. Like he's that guy that just needs to be, he's the everyone else's DD, not because he's like a stand up guy, but because he wants to be in complete control of himself in the evening. 100%. <laughs> you would never see him in a passenger seat of a car. So once she's home, she tries to figure out what to do with the pillowcase. And like the naive teenage girl she is, she throws it into her nightstand. Um, and she runs into her mom as she's walking down the hall. And her mom's like, what are you doing home already? And she's like, you know, I mean, she's hysterical. She just, she thinks she murdered her friend. And she's very short with her mom. And her mom's like, what's going on? And she's like, you don't understand, mom. I have like cheer camp and I have all this stuff going on. Just leave me alone. Um, so, which by the way, should be every parent's like thing. They should know when their kid's like, I have a lot going on. I'm going to cheer camp. That means your child is up to something. So, um, 
she says she feels like she has the flu. Um, her mom says she, you know, doesn't seem sick at all. Then she goes into the shower and starts, you know, takes a shower and then she comes out, she's looking in the mirror and she's hyperventilating. Basically she puts the top that she was wearing into the plastic bag. It's like lining the toilet next to the, that's lining the basket next to the toilet. Um, the phone is ringing at Riley's and it wakes him up. It's Keisha. And he tells her that he's on his way. So he gets up and out of the house before even really looking around and seeing the state of things. This episode is sponsored by book of the month. I've been subscribed to book of the month for three months now, and I'm obsessed. If you're a big reader or maybe even a lapsed big reader, who's been wanting to get back into it regularly, consider checking it out. Book of the Month, they read like hundreds of books every month from new and emerging authors, and they whittled on the list to just the very best. They provide you a diverse little selection of hardcover fiction to pick from, which is an element of it that I really love. I can find going into the bookstore to be super overwhelming, and when I know I have about a dozen really solid options to choose from, it makes the decision way easier. Plus, it's cheaper than other options, shipping is always free, and there's a loyalty program with rewards and even lower prices if you choose to stick around. There's an app where you can pick your upcoming books and track the progress of your reading, and there are challenges on there with rewards. Your book arrives in a super aesthetically pleasing box, by the way. That's the kind of touch that I always really appreciate. Personally, I read at my own pace. Sometimes I can only get to one of my two books a month, and I keep the ones I haven't read yet on my windowsill right next to my bed so I can just see them all there. It inspires me to pick one up and read. It's nice to have options in front of you. If you're interested in trying it out, you can get your first book for $5 with code pastel at bookofthemonth.com. That's code pastel at bookofthemonth.com. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Then Brooke drives to practice, um, so we think, and we see James following her. Then a cleaning lady shows up to Riley's house and is shocked by the party mess that she's, like, cleaning up. And then at that point, we see that Brooke is not driving to practice. She's actually driving to some location far away before that, and she ditches the bag and the knife in a dumpster. Then the cleaning lady comes into one of the bedrooms and sees Trig passed out on the bed, and he wakes up, and he's like, whoa, sorry, I had too much to drink. Um, then of course we cut back to the dumpster where Brooke just dropped the evidence and Jake comes and retrieves it. And then the cleaner finds Maddie and calls for someone to call the police. So Brooke is crying, um, that day in the locker room 
as she should be, I would be crying. Um, and she is carrying this secret of believing she murdered her best friend. Um, wouldn't wish it on anyone. Honestly, I, I was so nervous for how she was going to try and pull this off. She throws her meds across the floor of the locker room and the coach comes in and asks Brooks, Brooke if she's okay. And she says she just needs a minute. And she's like, do you know where Maddie is? And she's like, I have no idea. So then we see that the cops have arrived to Riley's place and they are actively questioning Trigg, who... I think probably could have gone to jail for murder in another scenario. Let's play this. Telling you I didn't kill her. After the big fight with Brooke, I did a few shots. I went looking for Maddie and I found her in a bathroom. What was the fight with Brooke about? Maddie thought I was trying to get with Brooke behind Maddie's back. Were you? No, of course not. I, I loved Maddie, all right? She and Brooke just had this weird jealousy thing between them. Had they fought before? A lot. Brooke told me they got into a fight recently at a karaoke bar. I wasn't there, but I heard it got bad. What happened after Maddie told you to leave her alone? I went outside. I had a beer with Riley. I don't know where Maddie went. I was too drunk to drive home, so I went upstairs. I found an empty bed, and I went to sleep. You never saw her at all after that? No. You know this doesn't look good for you, right? Your ex-girlfriend gets murdered after you and she have a big public fight. Unless there's someone else we need to look at. I'm looking directly at you. Who do you think murdered Maddie? I don't know. The only person I can think of... But they were best friends. Who? Brooke Emerson. He did it. <laughs> you know, he told on her. I, yeah, I mean, it's tough because I, I mean, we know what we saw, right? <laughs> but there is really no one to confirm that Trigg was like, yeah, if you want to get with me, I will dump Maddie tomorrow. Um, and the fact that he's able to lie about it, although it's a small thing in the greater scheme of things in this movie, I'm like, fuck you, Trig. Like, you're the worst. I don't know. This guy is just such a douchebag. <laughs> There's nothing redeemable about him at any point in this movie. At all. Like, I mean, the only thing that I like about him is I actually find Trig to be a quite interesting name. Um, but aside <laughs> from that, it's kind of like, yeah, no. I see. I thought... I thought a little bit differently of his name because, I mean, obviously your mind goes to Trig Palin, right? <laughs> like one of Sarah Palin's, I think, I don't know if that's Bristol's kid or not, but it's like one of those, it's one of those names where it's popular in pop culture to an extent and Lifetime gets in these ruts where I think I watched four movies last season where the lead girl's name was Kaylee or like Kylie or something like that. Um, but then they'll try to like come out with some fresh names. And, and there was a movie I watched recently where one character's name was Adele and another character's name was Solange. And I'm like, you guys don't have to go so far in the other direction. Like you don't have to go from like Kylie to names that are popular because like very, 
famous people who weren't old enough to be famous when you named your child exist. Like it, it seems like sometimes they try to go all like the complete other way with it. And I mean, the spelling of uh, Trig T R Y G really knocked my socks off. <laughs> Maybe it's because in the later seasons of Degrassi, there's a character named Zig, uh, <laughs> and he's one of he's like ends up being the show's quote unquote bad boy and he's not liked by a lot of the fandom. I sympathize with him because of his backstory, but um maybe maybe that's where my mind went. Well, Degrassi has like thrives with always having a kooky character name. And that's just like a constant from the very beginning of the show. Like Snake and Spike are they go on to like hold up the next generation and then Spinner, you know, like there's always someone with sort of an offbeat name on Degrassi. And Lifetime is just, you know, I mean, yes, the writers and directors vary movie to movie, but it's like a formula. And whatever they try to deviate from it, as much as that would be like appreciated, I think, in most other genres of things, sometimes I'm really like caught off guard when a character has a name like Trig or Adele. Where I'm just like, no teenager is named that. Like, there's, that's not like a common teen name. I don't know. After that, I want to know if you have insight on what was happening here. But we see Jake sneak into a locker room and go into sort of like the batting cage or like where the, I don't know, those cages they have in locker rooms where the coaches keep stuff. And he opens up like a 30 gallon tub, like one of those big Rubbermaid tubs and puts the bag of evidence into a box of stuff. And the way I saw it when I was watching was like, I think that's like coaches stuff because it was like a leather notebook and like stuff that looked official. Do you know what that space was supposed to be? So the first time I watched it, I I was I think I had to like rewind it because it almost felt like in a police evidence room to me. And I was like, well, that's obviously yeah. not what it is. Um, and then I realized maybe this is because I, as I was rewatching it, whenever that was this morning or last night, I was like, oh, because I recently moved with my family. We had to put stuff into a storage locker. And I figured that's what it was. Um, I, it still could be wrong. But that that is definitely something where I was like, I'm not entirely sure what's going on here. But I, I think, I mean, I think the main beat is like, I think there's a line where he says, you're mine forever now, Brooke, or something like that. Um, and and I, I think it's just like, he has that stuff and he's putting it somewhere. And then it's also very Joe from you where he has like this whole thing that he, like a storage thing where he goes and keeps stuff. So I don't know, that that it did bump me the first time I saw it. Yeah, I was, I, it made the most sense that it might have been a storage unit because that's the only way that he could really make her his forever if he was hiding the evidence. But at first I thought he might have been planting it in the locker room area for the coach to find. That's interesting. Yeah. I think, I think maybe that's the point of that line is to get like, this is, this is like his little sick hold over her as opposed to, well, this is planted for somebody else to find because like, yeah, I think as it unfolds, you sort of realize. Okay. Yeah. Well, I went back and forth cause I thought maybe he's trying to make it so that she has to say like, she needs to have an alibi and I can be that alibi. I think that's what my initial thought was when I thought it was in a coach's room, 
But now it makes more sense to that he was just putting it in a storage locker. But it kind of looked like the exterior of a school. It was a strange building that he went into. So, um, so yeah, your first interpretation was somebody's going to find it and that's going to be like the smoking gun for her. But then I can swoop in and say she was with me. Like, is that kind of how you read it? Or and Yeah, it, like, like he's going to freak out. Saved her kind of thing. Yeah, because like, you know, what all she would really need at that point to get out of it is to say, no, I got up and my boyfriend drove me home. We had a fight, but we were fine. I got up, you know, my boyfriend took me home. And then that would be like the alibi to cover for where she was during that time. But we didn't even have to get that far. So um, it is funny, though, the ways that your mind starts to give like more credit to the writers sometimes by things being a little bit underwritten, because you're like, oh, maybe it's that. And like, you wind up thinking it's much more planned out than it might actually be if you were to like read it on the page. But yeah, so Riley tells Maddie that she looks like death. Um, he tells her that she was really wasted the night before. And he's like, when did you leave? And she says around 2 a.m. And he goes, well, do you remember fighting with Maddie? And she says, just barely. They actually fought about Trig and then she passed out upstairs. So that's, you know, that's that. Um, the two detectives come in and talk to the coach. And he tells her that they found one of her students dead that morning, Maddie Finley. So then we're going to go to the clip of the cops questioning Brooke. I mean, I would be, I mean, I would have absolutely just, I don't know. I'm not a good liar. I would have never known how to play this off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I... Like, this is, <laughs> this is why I don't kill people. You know, <laughs> I, I'm terrified of pulling it off. Um, I'm going to play 52.12 to 54.39. I have a few questions to ask you. We're investigating a situation happened earlier this morning. What kind of situation? How do you know Maddie Fenley? Um, we're friends. I understand you were at a party where she was last night at the home of Riley Pratt. Did you get into a fight with Maddie there? I don't remember. You don't? Why not? I take this medication and sometimes I don't remember things. Does that happen to you a lot? No, not really. Did Maddie ever talk to you about Trig Bailey, her ex? Yeah, of course. Were they on good terms? Uh, yeah, for the most part. But Maddie always thought that I was going after Trick or something, but I would never do that to her. What time did you leave the party to go home? Two. I woke up in a guest bedroom and um, I left right after that. Did you see Maddie as you were leaving? Yeah, I saw her in the kitchen. I didn't talk to her, though. So you remember that part of the evening? Well, yeah, 
It was before that. That's when it gets a bit fuzzy. Brooke. Maddie was found dead this morning at the Pratt residence. How? I can't give details at the moment. But it appears to have been a homicide. I mean, I thought she played this scene really well. Um, I mean, I am pretty sure it's illegal to question a minor about a murder um, without their parents. But, um, you know, she handled it pretty well. Um, I, I thought she she kind of played it off. I mean, there is enough question there, like that this kind of murder maybe would go unsolved, especially with Maddie not having any cuts on her. And also, it's like going back to that thing about <laughs> parties and how they work in sort of a teen landscape. It, 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 of course, it happens towards the end of the night where a lot of people have left and everybody else is outside, right? And so he comes downstairs and he grabs a knife, but literally nobody sees him, which in reality is, I mean, maybe it happens, but you always have those weird people who are like coming out of a bedroom or like stumbling out of the bathroom and somebody is going to be in the house at some point. But because it's a movie and because it's a team party, you sort of have that thing. So I think it works in the same way of like, yes, it could go unsolved because everything sort of fell exactly the way it needed to um, for nobody to actually be able to put anybody, you know, um, in that room at that time. Yeah, I mean, it's also a little bit of like the finger wagging, like, oh, well, they're all unreliable witnesses. Everyone was compromised. Everyone was intoxicated. Like, you know, sort of that, like, I think that thing that doesn't really hold up in real life, but that they say in teen shows where they're like, oh, well, you were drunk. So who knows? Um, But yeah, so um, I mean, surprisingly enough. Brooke's friends have not caught on that she might have something to do with this. And when she comes back to the gym crying, Riley kind of uh, is, uh, you can tell he's stunned. He doesn't really know what to do. But Keisha comes and gives her a hug because Keisha's, you know, the realist. Honestly, she's a great friend. I wish Maddie was more like Keisha, if I'm being honest. So um, she gets a text from Jake asking her if she made it home okay um, and to call him when she has a chance. So then she goes home and her mom asks her how cheer camp was. And she tells her that Maddie was hurt last night. The police came to camp and were asking all of these questions. She says it happened at the party that they were at last night. I mean, she spills everything. She's like, we were drunk. We were drinking. They found her in the morning. She and I got into a big fight. The cops were questioning me. I think they think I did it. And her mom is, you know, very practical about it. She says, you know, it, They're probably asking everyone. There's really nothing to worry about if you just told them the truth, if you told them everything you know. Um, And she picks up the phone and and right away, Brooke is a little paranoid. Um, And she just tells her that she's calling Maddie's mom to give condolences, which sort of, I guess, is supposed to tell us about how, what mindset Brooke is in, that she wouldn't even think to reach out to Maddie's mom. Um, But yeah, she says that they need to get over there in person. Personally, for me, I would reach out I wouldn't feel the need to show up to their house. Yeah. Um, I, Cause yeah. And I think, I don't know, this is one of the things where it felt like they had to get everybody in the same place because then with um, 
now I'm forgetting, I want to call him my own name, with Jake's behavior, you end up getting that scene right out front there. And it's that, so like, I feel like it's one of those things that sort of had to happen. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know why it happened for the sake of the movie. It just kills me when they do stuff like that, where I'm like, oh, this woman's like kind of a monster. Like their daughter just died. Like you don't need, I'm sure that you're not the first person they want to hear from. <laughs> it just kind of like kills me how non-human people act <laughs> in these movies. Um, so we get a little glimpse of what the detectives are talking about at the station. And there's a female cop who thinks that they really need to keep digging, that the picture here is much bigger than what the male cop is really looking at. He, for him, it's kind of cut and dry. It could have only really been Trigger Brooke because that love triangle was just too much. Um, there's no way anyone else could have done it. So, um, you know, at this point, the only people who can really help shade in things for them now are the neighbors. So that's who they're going to question next. And I thought we were going to be lucky enough to maybe go to some day players, like being the neighbors, telling like a quick second, you know, 30 second story about what they saw that night. But we didn't do that. We just went to Maddie's house. And there's like a full blown bereavement situation happening there. There is like 20 people, someone's milling around with like a Danish on a plate and a cup of coffee. Like it is it's kind of crazy how quickly we just did John Bonet last week though, too. So maybe that's, I'm a little bit influenced by that, but it, to me, it's like so crazy that people all just get together when someone died like that. Especially that quickly. Like the whole town is at their house. They're in the middle of a murder investigation. Like, what are you doing? Like, why is there Danish there? Like, what's like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Someone's always coming with like a baked good. And it's like, dude, this is, they are like, I don't know. Maybe that just is because I'm like, you know, I'm a, I'm fine by myself. I'm kind of a loner that way. I wouldn't want a small party at my home with like people nervously cleaning up my kitchen throughout the day for me. Um. That's what I would, honestly, that's who I would be at that party is I would be nervously tidying up the kitchen that's already clean just to <laughs> pretend I have a purpose. So, of course, Brooke is feeling very overwhelmed at this this bereavement session. And um, she heads upstairs to, I'm sorry, Brooke is feeling very overwhelmed. So she heads upstairs to Maddie's room um, where she notices um, this little, like, roll like this little photo strip from like a photo booth at a bar or a restaurant or something. Um, and she looks at it and she says, I couldn't have done this. So she knows, like she knows in her heart that this is not, this isn't her. She didn't, she can't make sense of it, which is great because that's the part of her that's going to carry her through the rest of this. Like if she didn't have that belief about herself, if she really was so far gone that she thought she was that kind of monster. Um, it would change everything. So she's in her room and she's looking around and then she sort of gets over to the window in the room where she notices Jake is sitting outside in his car and she goes out to talk to him and be like, what the fuck are you doing here? So um, I'm going to play this clip 58, 56 to an hour and 23 seconds. Hey, what are you doing here? just wanted to talk to you. I'm really sorry about your friend. How do you even know? on the news. What, they gave out her home address? No, I just, 
followed you and your mom from your house. What? I have to go. Jake, I appreciate your concern, but I just really need to be left alone right now. This is a really hard time for me and my mom, and I can't deal with this. What do you mean you can't deal with this? I just wanted to support you. I get it. But your presence makes things complicated. I don't want to be in a relationship with you. Go, Brooke. I love you. You don't even know me. Yes, I do. We get each other on a whole other level. Jake, leave me alone. I don't like you that way. Hello, Jake. Hey. Brooke, honey, why did you leave like that? I needed to talk to him. He heard what happened on the news. Yeah, I think that we're all still in shock. I am. It's, um, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I really hope that they catch that monster and put him behind bars for a, a very, very long time. Yeah, so do I. Mom? Are you ready to go? Uh, sure, but don't you want to go inside and say goodbye to Maddie's mom? Okay. Okay. So... I think everyone is pleasantly aware here. Given everything involved, the right people are freaked out enough. Yeah. Yeah. Like, normally in a Lifetime movie, at least one and a half of those people out of the mom and the daughter would have been sort of more on board with what's going on with Jake. (laughs) You know? Yeah. But anyway, so I have to ask you, Apart from all this, I want to know what it is for you that the part of your soul that Degrassi spoke to. Like, what is it do you think about you that loves that show? Hmm. Well, it's because it's like there's part of me as a person and there's part of me as like a writer. And they both sort of tie together at the end of it. But I think. I think it just helped me discover that I have a great passion for that sort of adolescent young experience where you don't really know who you are or what, you know, what your beliefs or what the things that you find important mean in the world that you don't have your voice. You don't, you know, everything that happens to you is like the end of the world, but it's like, I I remember um, Linda Schuyler, who is the co-creator of the show saying once that, um, well, two things, one that things seem to happen in like really sharp, vivid colors when you're young. Um, and I just love that quote so much. And the other thing that she says is about the show. And it's, it's the big mandate of the show is to reassure young people that they're not alone and that their voices are heard and they're empowered and all that stuff. Um, and I think that from a show, cause I look back at when I started watching it and in season 10, they did one of the most groundbreaking things I've ever seen done on television, which was introduce a transgender character. And I had never up until that point, I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, and yeah. It, it's kind of a scary thing for me to say, but I, I don't know how I, cause you know, like you go to school and you hear things like, you know, like how kids talk and, and how they bring their own parents views into school. Cause they don't know how they feel about things, but they know what they hear. Um, and so like, I, I don't know if I hadn't seen that first and I hadn't gotten that empathetic, you know, storyline about a trans character. And this is just an example for like many things, but like, I'm not sure how I would have felt about that moving from high school to college and all that stuff. And it is kind of scary to say like, had I not seen a TV show, I might've been an ignorant, you know, POS, but at the same time, it was so crucial to my development at that point at 13 years old or whatever it was. Um, and so I think like that, just that power of 
shaping or, you know, just that acceptance, that tolerance, all of that stuff. Uh, and one of my favorite stories is actually about Marco's character, who was yeah. the first teen character to ever come out on television. Um, and Linda tells a story where she says a mother wrote into, or a woman wrote into the show and said, when my son came out to me, I like didn't, I said, I don't want to hear about this. Don't talk to me about this. And she basically cut him off. And then I guess seven or eight years later, she saw that storyline and she reconnected with her son after like literally almost a decade. And it was like that kind of power, that kind of, you know, emotion that you can get from a story like that is kind of where I think like my voice and my passion really falls into it. Dude. Well, okay. There's like two things I want to say about that. Um, one I'm going to come back to in a minute because I thought it was interesting when you said it. Um, but the Marco storyline was totally like breakthrough in a lot of ways. Cause well, Mark, Marco as a character, I think he was the first like gay kiss ever on children's television, which is, you know, obviously of course our, our people at Degrassi did it first, but, um, I, like remember the episode where Marco was the victim of a hate crime where mm. he got beat up in the park. Yeah. That being a really big moment for me to like see something that I sort of knew of, but had never really seen depicted on TV in like a consumable like way before, because I obviously I've always watched Degrassi as a voyeur, like for imagining what it would be like for a kid to watch that. And also having already been through that sort of, you know, being like, wow, I love that they're, they're adding this like emotional intelligence to a, a, a basically a kid's show. Like, you know, it's always, it was, I was never a kid really when I was watching it outside of when I watched it in junior high or in middle school, like Degrassi junior high and health class. I think we watched like a, I think it was like a Caitlin episode. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, so, um, I I do I I love to hear that the trans storyline related to you like that because I think Degrassi does a good job of taking things that are sort of out there and they're things that we all know about but they aren't ready to put on TV yet or figure out a way to tell that story and they've taken the time to do that because now there's like a massive dialogue around you know, the trans community and, and what it means to be trans and, and everything to do with that. I think there's so much out there where you can find that depicted in different ways. Um, and certainly not enough, but there is definitely more information probably when they were doing it on Degrassi when you were 13. So that's one thing that, you know, I have to say, I give them so much credit for is school shootings as well. I mean, they were the first show to depict a school shooting like that. Yeah. And, and that was like, in a weird way, as a viewer, I almost felt like that was when they jumped the shark. <laughs> and it was also when I knew that they were. From Rogan, one of my favorite quotes from that. He it goes, was so caught um, up in time. Referring to that, yeah, that so episode. I think it's called Time moment. Stand Still. Um, mm -hmm. He goes, uh, that was the day that the grassy grew up. And I, I love that sort of sentiment. I, I sometimes bump on it because I wonder if season two, Paige's story with her assault uh, and yeah. also Craig's story with his dad. I mean, I remember the scene where his dad grabs a golf club and chases him upstairs. And like, it's interesting. I was actually talking about this the other day. I don't think in that, because obviously it was a domestic abuse situation or child abuse situation, but, um, like 
in that moment, the way I watch it, he didn't grab the club to kill him. He was going to beat him, but it would have resulted like his intention was not to go kill a son, but obviously he had a problem and it would have resulted in that. Uh, and so like those were the first two, like I can, I say dark ish stories that they did, but I, I get what he means when he says like, we really grew up when we did the school shooting. Um, Cause like people knew. We were gonna up in just in terms of, cause like we'd seen as terrible as it is to say, we had seen date rape on TV before we had seen um, child abuse on TV before. And they always found a, a sort of a new and interesting way to go in it. I sort of couldn't believe how consistent they were with Paige's story with not just sort of her character development, but also the way that they, it caught up the way that it would in real life where something sort of came of it, like, you know, a year and a half later, like it felt almost shocking that they came back to it like a season and a half after the story first started. Um, Um, Yeah. I remember that so vividly. That was, that was heartbreaking. It was, yeah, I mean, it was, it was crazy, especially because when I was watching it, it was like, you waited week to week. It was, there was no binge watching, like you waited for the episode to come out. And if you were in the States, you had to, if you were maybe at that time, lucky enough to have a computer that where you could download shows illegally, and it would all like hold it on there. um, You could get the shows a little bit early from Canada. But when we were when I was administering the, the, like the board, there was like a full blown, if you're Canadian and spoiled on Canadian shows, like you can talk in this thread. <laughs> Otherwise don't go near it. Cause it'll ruin the show for you. But most people like were not caught up and it was, um, it was tough. Like you would have to go, you would have to wait like every week to watch a new Degrassi. And then they would go off for the summer and it would just be like the fucking worst (laughs) and thankfully the show had a lot of fandom because I think they made like more supplemental content in the off season and also just for like moving production I think a lot faster I'm sure production picked up because the show really like caught fire oh absolutely it's one of the the most interesting things um is that with Manny's abortion story in i want to say season four season three or yeah. four um against yeah. all odds that's one of my favorite i had to pirate that in order to watch it because they didn't air it in the u.s Ex- exactly where i was going with that and it was and i remember you know linda said like to their credit they eventually aired it you know several years later but like that was one of the times where they came back to me or our american partners came back to me and said we can't air this um which didn't actually ha- happen all that often but it did for the abortion story um and there was another story i was going to bring up that well oh no it wasn't a story but you mentioned the, the production and in season 10 they actually switched to like a telenovela format and did 44 episodes and season 11 had 45 episodes and season 12 had like 40. Uh, uh, and so it was like, I remember a summer of, I don't know what year it was, but when I did season 10, it became almost like a promotion. So there was a new episode Monday through Thursday. It was called the boiling point, And then you would come back Monday and do it. And it was like a six week event. It's, it's actually, I think it's the peak. I think season 10 is the absolute peak of the show. In my personal opinion, part, part of that's probably a little bit of nostalgia, but like it's, I think it's the, that 10 through 12 stretch to me is like where the show. Sort I of- think it's like Saturday night live where you always grow up thinking the cast that like you, when right. you were coming of age, like you're always going to value that cast the most. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think it's definitely like you, you resonate with them the most too. You watch them grow up and like the, the stories that they were doing were as close as 
in terms of like what was going on and how it was going on to the point where you were in high school. Cause I was in high school at that point and that stuff was going on. Um, but I mean, even if, even if it's possible to take that bias out, like going back, I've probably gone through all of next generation and next class probably four times at least. Um, and that, that when I get to that like era of season 10, it's just, it's, there's, it's nothing tops it for me. It's one of those like story wise. I think it's, um, and there's more stuff. There's more content. They could do more slice of life stuff. They could do more serious stuff. And it was just like that peak of the show, in my opinion. That um, That's when you're like, oh, it's on. Like, you're like, it's all happening. When, yeah. When I try to get people to start the show, I'm like, if like, especially if they're my age, like the first episode is about Emma and the predator online, but Earl of next generation, I should say, but like that happened very differently when they did it for Darcy. And then it happens differently when they do it again. Um, so I'm like, if, like, if you're looking at it from just watching the show from an iconic standpoint, yeah, start from season one, it's great. But if you're watching it and you're like looking for what it's closest to for your own high school experience and you're my age, you probably want to start around season 10. But I get so excited when people get to like that 10, because I'm like, the promotion was unbelievable. They had the best, um, uh, music video promotion I've ever seen for any TV show. Um, it was just like, it sort of, it really kind of rebirthed the franchise at that point. Cause they actually got canceled after season, either season eight or nine. I want to say it was nine. And then they, or they were going to be canceled and they found a way to, um, and I think that's where like all of those changes came from, but yeah, it's, it's that era for me is like untouchable. I need to rewatch that. Like, I think that would bring me a lot of joy right now to have that. Like, I am over all my Bravo shows. I was like a big, like, Bravo person for a long time. The last like, year or so, I've just been so over it. And I've been like looking for that thing that just brings me joy every time I revisit it. And I feel like I should just power through and watch all those years of DeGrasse that I missed out on because that's my shit. Uh, yeah, if you start on season 10, I'm going to need updates. Okay, I well, of course, I'll update you. I have no one else to talk to about this shit. Are you kidding me? <laughs> okay, guys, we reconnected. So if the audio sounds a little different, it's we reconnected so and also that's a note for sammy too who's not here sammy we miss being able to record with your expertise um okay so um where we left off after our degrassi rant was um she just left um the situation with jake outside of the house and we see her that night brooke trying to sleep in bed but she keeps having sort of flashbacks to the fight that they had at the party and then waking up to find maddie in bed stabbed next to her so she picks up the phone and makes a call to her doctor and she leaves a message saying that she needs to speak to her as soon as possible if she could find time tomorrow that would be great and right away my signals are going up being like oh you can't call people late at night they think you're crazy because <laughs> I used to feel like, oh, well, I do things on my time. So I'm just going to leave the message when I can because that's when I'm free. Yeah. And then I realized, like, you can't send an email at, like, 3 a.m. Just because you happen to be awake at 3 a.m. People think you're crazy. <laughs> so I was worried that she was, like, planting evidence against herself, un uneven, like, not aware of it, trying to get help. Yeah. I, yeah, and I was... I also wonder, it's very similar to the relationship or I guess the dynamic between her and Maddie. I think, unless I'm 
like badly mistaken. I don't think we got a scene with her and her therapist prior to like, I, I don't even know if we knew that she, maybe from the like words he's prescribed it, but I just wonder if maybe also setting that up earlier and seeing like it come full circle would have been. Totally. Like if she had, if we had seen a scene of her like opening her email and there's like an email from her therapist. So we see that this is a person that's a constant in her life. But where we all we know up until this point is that she's sort of a, you know, she's on medication. So she's supposedly seen a doctor once. Not that like this is a person that she checks in with regularly. Yeah. Um, I would have loved an email. Then it would have been on me to not understand. But like, you know, when you watch a movie like this and you know someone didn't kill someone. And like you're trying to protect them from themselves, you're like I'm. You're paying such close attention to everything they do after, yeah. and just thinking like, oh, that's evidence, girl. That is evidence. <laughs> you're creating evidence, right? So Jake sends Brooke a ton of texts and is furious that she won't answer him, and he really starts to get angry. Starts throwing stuff around his place. He's screaming at her as if she is in his apartment. Um, then Brooke goes to her doctor's office the next day. I wouldn't tell this doctor anything. I didn't trust her. Mm. Hmm. I, yeah, I can 100% see that. Like, first of all, you can't go to your doctor and talk about a murder, period. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. There are some things that they have to spill on <laughs> legally. But she goes in there to basically say her friend is dead and she feels terrible about what happened and she knows she was drinking. She's not really sure what happened that night. And her doctor says, like, well, why don't we talk about what happened when you woke up the next morning? And at that point, she says, I can't. I can't talk about that. Um, I mean, if I was the doctor, that's when I would have called the police personally. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I can, I'm trying to play that out in my head. You're sitting with a client. She called you in the middle of the night. She comes in implying that she knows more about a murder than she's letting on. But a main issue is that her memory is blocking her. Yeah. I, I don't, because I feel like, I mean, I actually have no idea how the whole client confidentiality thing works with that. But. Well, I think it's when. Well, when someone is a harm to themselves or others. And so if you were to suspect that they essentially implied that they knew something about a murder, I think that would count as two others. But I'm sure doctors let shit slide all the time. Yeah, I think my issue is I'm only picturing, um, uh, of course, I'm forgetting her name, the um, woman who played the who played Davies therapist and never have I ever and Mindy Kaling show recently. So I'm tr I'm like trying to picture Davy in that office saying I witnessed the murder and I just can't picture it. So it's it's my own it's my own fault. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that show yet. Is it worth checking out? I mean you're a fan of the genre. So uh, yeah, personally I love it. I think Mindy Kaling is a genius. Um not everybody loves it, which is not un unlike any other thing, but um I mean it's it's worth watching the pilot. <laughs> See, that's a great point is that not everything is for everyone. I feel like we're living in a world right now where if someone is loud on Twitter and they say they didn't like something for X, Y, or Z reason. I mean, the thing with like Degrassi that I always loved is that it's really hard to watch it and call it a bad show for what it is. But 
it's really easy to like watch it and choose to fall in love with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's it's like a show that's hard to hate on. And we live in a culture where people just love to decide things about things, especially media, where that used to just be kind of a personal journey. Yeah. And it's it's also like everybody feels like they have to voice their opinion. on. Like one of the things that drives me up a wall is when somebody will talk about like, it's, 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 you watch a movie and you don't like it. Like, that's fine. You're not, everybody will. It's completely, that's it's subjective. But like one thing that I absolutely hate when I see is when they go out of their way to tag the person who wrote it or directed it or whatever and say like, Hey, I thought this was terrible. I'm like, why? <laughs> um, and it's sort of like that. I don't know. It's just that, that almost entitlement of like, I have to let people know I didn't like this or that I think it's shit or that you suck because you like it or whatever. I mean, granted this, I don't think it's at that level, but it is something that is, especially with social media that I see a lot. And I'm kind of like, you never really see like verifieds doing that though. And I wonder like if that's, I wonder if people think that it affects a celebrity less when a verified says it to them or not. Because I think that it would hurt more to hear it from an average citizen. Like that's, what's kind of fucked up about it is people think they're like so anonymous online (laughs) if they don't have a check Mark. That is true. Um, but you know, I mean, I, I like to give my comments about things, but it's like when the piece comes out, like, I mean, I, I, feel like i'm not relevant enough that anyone would like it would create a movement for me saying that i didn't really like a certain show or a movie and i feel like the only quote-unquote influence i have is like if you're following me on twitter and presumably you're interested in my thoughts maybe you'll be like oh well if molly liked that that means i would or wouldn't like it right um (laughs) but it's the it's like, you know, it, there's just like these like strange um, sort of like mass shunning of a piece of media that happens now. And maybe that's always been the way. It just seems like it's more like that now. But it's like, I wish we could kind of just let people go back into their private media habits. Like there was a reason why I got away with a 30 hour a week Degrassi habit without any of my friends knowing about it for three years. Like there's a reason for that. And that was like the closed door. Like I just, no one knew that that was my thing. And I feel like people should feel more free to not have to like cushion what it is they enjoy watching by acknowledging that somewhere on the internet, other people have a problem with it. It's, you know, yeah, it's, since um, I think one of my goals in this is to tie as many things back to Degrassi as possible. Um, it's, in life, yeah. <laughs> there's um, another quote that I really love, and this is great because I get to shout out Matt Heater again if, on the off chance that he is list- or is hearing this. But um, he said that with the like emergence of Tumblr, especially for younger audiences and Twitter, um, Instagram is like you can find comments about shows and media on Instagram, but it's mostly like Twitter and Tumblr, I would say. But it, he described it as everybody sort of has their own personal magazine where they can go and publish their thoughts. Like they don't have to go somewhere and make sure like, you know, to like one of those forums that I mentioned earlier, like how it used to be in the early 2000s or whatever, where you have to go somewhere, log in with an account, you know, it's usually. Like yeah, like the grassyboards.com where I was an administrator. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I'm familiar. No. <laughs> 
And, but now you can just like, you can open up Twitter and say like, Oh, I just saw Mindy Kaling's Never Have I Ever. And I thought it was blank. Like you, it takes 10 seconds. And depending on like what your influence is on social media, whether you have six followers or whether you have 600,000, like you, you're publishing your thoughts to the magazine, your magazine and your followers are the people who read that magazine. Um, and it's just, it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. And like, by the way, like criticism is so important in our culture, right? It's just always so interesting who we pick our most vocal critics to be Mm. like when something goes off. Like, I mean, criticism is a legitimate art form. It's like a whole style of writing that is it's so legitimate and such a fundamental part of our society. Right. But at the same time, like, I feel like sometimes things catch like fire in this way about something that it's like seems like sort of an arbitrary opinion and maybe it's very close to the person who's watching its personal experience and so they find some flaw in it but then it becomes a narrative about the show and I don't I don't think that's cool man like I don't think anyone has ever had the power of a critic these days and a critic can be anyone yeah that's that's definitely true we see things based off our like but it's like that idea that well my perspective sort of invalidates not mine speaking for me but like that one person's perspective because it's true to their experience and deceiver means they love it or they hate it or whatever and then like if somebody else says that they love it and they find that problematic or because it's untrue to their thing and then it gets sort of um but yeah to your point i think criticism without it would be i don't, I don't even know how that would work you know but at the same time also you need people to like hold each other accountable in media at the same time i just it's so um it's so interesting too because like i don't know is is um the mindy kaling show is that meant for a ya audience oh that's a good question i i would say yes but because we're in this i have a hard time distinguishing when things are on a streaming platform like who they're really intended for because anybody like it's so it was so different when the sweet life of zach and cody or whatever was on disney channel you know exactly who the intended audience is it doesn't mean a 25 year old can't watch it but you know who they're they're gearing it at whereas something that's uh, i call it a dramedy which is what i write like when that's on amazon or hulu or netflix or whatever youtube even it's kind of like well anybody can access that and i know i mean my mom has watched like half the season and loves it, you know, and, but I know people my age who don't like it. And I know people from like a specific culture who don't like it. And it's just like, I think it's, it's kind of at this point, whoever watches it, it's almost who it's geared at. I would say it's geared at a younger audience, somewhere between 13, 14 and like mid twenties. Um, but that's, I don't know. It's, <laughs> no, I mean, cause I was going to say like, I feel like, in some ways, children's television should probably be some of the most scrutinized. But I feel like at the same time, you also have to give it a pass because it's literally for developing minds, right? So not every like some things are going to be a little bit more spelled out or whatever. But I think it's like such a true art form. And it's it's something that needs to be approached very differently than something that you'd go see in a theater or something that's like explicitly for adults. I feel like you need to have a little bit more of a generous mind with it. I I'll never forget going into like um a meeting with a producer that wanted to develop 
an idea for a character that he had thought of. And um, I was pitching with another person and we said that we thought, you know, the genesis of this issue could be in high school. And I'll never forget the guy saying to me something along the lines of like, well, no, it has to be like deeper than high school. Like it has to be like deeper than that stage of your life. And the person I was writing with, I just like turned to them and I was like, is there anything deeper than high school? Like in terms of like emotional, like, yes, there are like all of those things that all of the things that are possible in the world to happen can happen to a high schooler. It's just the way that that age of person interacts with information. It's so valuable. It's so, and it's so like larger than you'll ever experience in your life. Like, as you were saying, you see the world in full color when you're that age, like nothing is dulled out. Yeah. And it's so funny to like tie that sort of I guess, sentiment or idea into like, right. Like, so most of what I write is tween teen YA. And it's, I oftentimes when I get a note and sometimes, you know, sometimes it's a clarity thing, but I also tend to smile when I get this note and I don't get it a lot, but when I do, it's like, okay, because it means that they're thinking in the right way, but also the wrong way. And it's, it's, it's usually something along the lines of would this character do this like it feels like it's a leap or it feels like they're overreacting and in my mind i'm like perfect because that's what teenagers do like and it's usually coming exactly. from exactly right like it's exactly full adults who are saying oh would she really go and dump this drink on him and i'm like if she was 26 maybe not but she's 13 and she has all the hormones and all of the emotions and she feels like she's been backstabbed so yes she's gonna go and dump that because she's not thinking rationally so the, the fact that you are and you're bumping on that means that i'm doing something right <laughs> um, totally. I, I wrote a pilot once and I it was about a, a 15 year old girl. And I remember a note someone saying like, why is she so mean to her sister? And I was like, because she's a fucking teenager. Like, if you're ever going to be mean to your sister, it's when you're 15. Like, you know, that's the that's the hall pass you get in life is you can be truly a nightmare um, when you're that age. And, you know, some of us, I didn't get to experience that. I think I also have always lived vicariously through kids who got to be bad on TV. It's why I always loved, um, I mean, it's why I love the, so many of these Lifetime movies and love the genre of like bad teen because yeah. I never lived that and I get to learn my lessons through it. Um, but yeah, so, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say one, and and this is, it's, it's a conversation I've had with so many people, um, both in the Degrassi audience as well as in the fandom, because I, I think those terms are separate. Like you can, there are people in the audience who aren't in the quote unquote fandom, but anyway. Um, and it's, it's always no, interesting. The locals, the Degrassi, lo are there locals for Degrassi? I probably. Um, I, <laughs> it's like it's, meaning like they're not like they're just the people that stop by. They're not true fans. Oh, yeah, I would say, yeah, oh, absolutely, because they're so there's one one of the funny things about the Netflix um the next Netflix version was there I was talking to somebody who was like, "Oh, I would watch it if j t were in it, and I'm like, okay, that doesn't make sense for a multitude of reasons, but i it's right. one of the things where it's kind of like there are certain fans that love it if this is still happening or if this is going on, there are certain people who will tune in and tune out, and then there's people who are me who are like are going to not only watch all the episodes we're going to rewatch them, we're going to break them down, we're going to talk about them, we're going to you know whatever, but it, the one thing that I hear a lot is 
sort of, I thought they did such a great job of towing the line between what high school is really like versus in some cases, how things should be. And so I hear a lot of, and I think there's a lot of validation to some of these comments where it's like this character, like where you're criticizing characters, actions and whatnot. And I'm like, that's true. I also try to remember that they're teenagers. So the mistakes they're making, they're supposed to make like teenagers are awful. But I also think they did a good job of not making high school like, well, everybody's nice to each other and everybody always does the right thing. And you know, when somebody's, you know, when somebody's having, when somebody's going through something, not everybody's going to go and comfort them like a most adults would or like you would have the you know like when you know now you're like oh if somebody's going through something you reach out make sure they're okay teenagers don't necessarily think like that some do some don't but i I thought they did a great job of making it where it wasn't like a utopia where everybody's nice and everybody's you know like there were people who were really mean and there was stuff that like was almost hard to watch at times and that's to me what high school is and i thought they did a good job of sort of giving you that well you can be empathetic and we're going to push tolerance we're going to do this but we're also going to show you like you know, sometimes you don't get that because that's not how high school is all the time. Well, like the character development on Degrassi is like more nuanced than most shows could ever get with an ensemble that large. Oh. Like not just the way that they held on to characters for such a long time. Um, they really were able to sort of stretch that out in a great way and give us lots of time with them. But I mean, the development of these people over years and like being able to sort of accept their flaws as they come up, even if it was like a new flavor, yeah. like that was like um, the character Paige's girlfriend, um, Deanna was the actress. Oh, yes. Alex. Alex. Yes. Like yes. Alex was a very nuanced character because she was so unlikable for the first two seasons. Like you never thought she would make it to the main stage, you know, so to speak. And then they wound up doing some like great work with her character to sort of catch her up to the main cast. And I was always fascinated with how they did that because you really didn't think she was much more than like a snickering mean girl alongside Jay for many years. And then you realize like, oh, she's fucking closeted. And like she would wants, she doesn't hate the popular girl. She wants to be with her. Like that was a really fascinating character thing and by the way you're so right i kind of agree with you that people who aren't true degrassi fans and just are people who are into the memes or whatever or like have a passing interest they have a weird connection to jt (laughs) and that's not to take away from jt like by the way great character was devastated and shocked when he died like it was for sure gone too soon. And I didn't see that coming, Mm. but I do. I think that there must be something sort of approachable or understandable about him where people can get in on a ground level. And that's where, that's where they stay with Mm -hmm. their love of this show because (laughs) JT was great, but like, he certainly wasn't like, you know, who would No, you wouldn't like if, (laughs) I feel like even if JT was there, you probably wouldn't have watched the new one. (laughs) (laughs) That's just an excuse to make to say that that's why you would have watched. Um, Okay. So anyway, Brooke leaves her doctor's office. And when she gets home, Jake is sitting on her couch like a fucking creep. We're going to play an hour and three minutes to 105.29. Hey. Are you okay? How did you get in here? 
everywhere. Why are you making this so hard? What do you want from me? I just want to see you. I want to spend time with you. I want to love you just like we were before. Are you not listening to me? You're acting completely crazy. I am not crazy. Don't you ever say that to me again. Breaking into someone's house is not normal. All I want is to have somebody that I connect with. Someone that I can do anything for and that will do anything for me. And that person is you, Brooke. You don't know what true love is, and that's why you don't understand any of this. I don't love you, Jake. Brooke, I can make things very complicated for you. Or I can make them easy. What does that mean? We both know that you killed Maddie, don't we? what you're talking about yes you do that's why you hid the knife and your shirt in the pillowcase and put it in the dumpster guess what they're not in the dumpster anymore where are they they're safe and as long as you're with me they'll stay safe so you're blackmailing me to be with you no no I just want you to realize that I'm important in your life connected for the rest of our lives and I will keep your secret forever I did not kill her Brooke come on you wouldn't have ditched the murder weapon if you were innocent you even sent me pictures of her body I didn't I would never do that it's okay I have an app that encrypts all the texts that are sent and received so Okay. I mean, that's an awful lot. <laughs> um, I mean, okay. First of all, I really feel like the actress who plays Brooke is a great little actress after that scene in particular, just the way that she handled all of that that came up. I mean, this is, um, I mean, he's truly controlling and not to, yes, I'll bring it back again to our favorite show. He reminded me of Rick with Terry mm. with that sort of intensity yep. that is otherworldly in a way where you're just like, oh, you're like on another planet about what this, what this is going to be. I mean, Brooke seems very grounded in what the reality of high school is. Which I feel like is not as common in media as um, one might think, but it, it, with Rick, and it's also interesting with Rick because, or that comparison, because they, I thought also did a great job of giving him some heart. Actually, I'm completely, I should not be saying this without giving Miriam credit. This was her, this was her quote, but she said that um, Ephraim who played Rick, like did a great job of giving him some heart and still making him human. So there's moments in his arc where you're like, okay, this like, he's a kid that's struggling and he gets pushed you know, over the edge. And that's obviously not to say or to excuse what he did, obviously. But like you see, there's the one scene for me that just gets me every time is when I want to say it's Jimmy and Spinner throw him in the dumpster after like sealing his hat and all that yeah. stuff. And like you just, obviously there's that, but there's 
the paint and all that stuff. But like, even before you get there, he had just been tortured and bullied so much. Um, but and not to say it's the same case here, but they found ways to like <laughs> make, um, see, now I can't, I'm going to say James and that's not his name. Uh, <laughs> James. Yes, they're they, like they find ways to make him so he's not this completely evil person all the way through, but he is controlling in the exact same way that Rick was. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that they on Degrassi in general, they did a great job of sort of establishing the tone of the character's home life, which I think is missing from a lot of these shows. Um I think Pretty Little Liars did that very well. Again, like that's another, I mean, I, I'm such a PLL stan. It's like not normal. I was fully like 30, like, no, not 30, but I was like 29 years old going into work being like, you guys, I know no one watches Pretty Little Liars, but this is what happened last night. And it was like, it was just because it was my week to week treat. Like, it's so rare that you get something like this in the world anymore, where it's like you're genuinely watching it week to week. And um, it was like, you know, it was so problematic. Like, I I kind of the craziest thing was like I anticipated their most problematic plot line. I kind of knew that they were going to make Charles a trans character like six months before it happened. And of course that was like the worst case scenario for how they could have handled the show. But it was the last like moment or the last probably like show I watched where I felt like you had a really good idea of like what informed the way these characters showed up in their life, like whatever was going on at home. Um, And that's like a very soap opera style of it for a lifetime. I feel like they gave, they gave us an actual, an actual treat that we didn't even necessarily need at the end of this movie. Like the button Mm. is sort of the thing that you realize who the true villains are. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Don't want to spoil it, but absolutely. um, Oh God, no, it's so good. Um, so, okay. Um, then we see the female officer, the woman officer at the station, take a call. Um, they got a call from a neighbor who told her that when he got home around 3 a.m., he saw a high-end sports car parked in front of his house that he'd never seen before. He's not sure of the color because it was dark, but he thinks it was a Mercedes or BMW, something expensive. What kind of car is that? Are you a car person? I am not. All I got from this was that I want to say her mother said something like what 18 year old drives around in a hundred thousand dollar sports car. I think that's the gist of <laughs> um, what I got. I knew it was, you know, it, I knew it was like fancy and a sports car and sexy and all that stuff, but I'm not, uh, I can't look at a car and say, Oh yeah, that's this with this model in that year. That's not me. Yeah. I can only do that with a few types of cars. And I know, <laughs> Lifetime relied on that. Yeah. Lifetime relied for none of us to bother to look at what kind of car that was. <laughs> we just took their word. We were like, yeah, it looks expensive. Okay, moving on. So um, Brooke is talking to Jake at home, and she says that she wishes this could all be over. He tells her to relax. He He's the only one who knows what she did, and if she's with him, he'll protect her. And he tells her that he got her something. So he gets down on one knee and tells her that she doesn't have to say yes right now, but he couldn't help it. So he pulls out this ring and he basically kind of forces it on her finger. Um, And she, you know, is obviously very frightened by this, as anyone would be. So then we see her drive to school. Um, She takes off her ring and her I think it's her school, right? Is her mom working at her school? 
I that's how I interpret it. Like it, it felt, yeah, almost like that sort of not necessarily another thing, but like they were at the school for something. Yeah, it's another like um sort of like okay, I guess like yeah, like it's like the storage unit. Like I guess okay, <laughs> so we get there and her mom's at the school working on a laptop, and she tells her that instead of going to school, she went to see her doctor that day, and her mom's very supportive of that, and she asked her what she said. And she tells her that she wanted to tell her doctor something, but she couldn't bring herself to do it. And then before she can explain what she means, Alex comes in because apparently her stepdad also or her mom's boyfriend also works at the school. And she's like, no, you can stay. I'll tell you this story, too. So she says she doesn't even know how to tell them this, but she thinks she killed Maddie. She says she drank a lot that night and Maddie got into a fight. And right away, you can tell. Her mom and Alex, like, know that she's not capable of this. They're just sort of, like, rolling their eyes, being like, oh, God, here, all right, here we go. So she um, basically says that, according to Riley, she passed out in the guest room, and the next thing she remembers is waking up. Maddie's dead body was next to her. There was blood and the knife. There's even pictures of her dead body on the phone. She tells them that she threw the knife out and put it in a dumpster, but Jake followed her there and took her and um, took it and then told her that if she broke up with him, he would bring it to the police. So right away, they know what's up. They're like, okay, <laughs> this guy's setting you up. He's obsessed with you. And like, thank God the adults are now involved because, I mean, I'm sitting over here thinking to myself, come on, you can't possibly tell this story to the police and think that they won't further investigate this. This isn't that like sealed shut right away. Our parents know. Thank God they're right, by the way, because some parents believe their kids and they really shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. What was like the most trouble you got in when you were a kid? Don't incriminate yourself, but like <laughs> anything that like you did that was like, because I'm trying to, I'm always trying to measure and weigh like how much shit you've been in as a kid like did you mouth off to your mom or like what what happened here? um i will say there I, I will say law enforcement was involved <laughs> um it the scene actually it felt very tv high school because my friends knew what the situation was but like the adults didn't but it was it was a kind of a weird sort of Okay, this is hap because like you're in that weird place, especially in high school, where it's like you kind of get that weird sense of like credit or whatever, like when you get in trouble or something like that. I guess it depends who you're hanging around, but um, and it was one of those things where I was I was pulled out of classroom by like the campus security officer and two actual police officers, um, and I remember looking back at my friends and they're like, "Oh, we're never gonna see him again." Um, but I would say that was like the worst of it, or at least the worst oh day on a podcast. <laughs> Oh my God. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you got out of that. I mean, I definitely, uh, plagiarized a paper once, <laughs> at least part of it. And I got in a fuck ton of trouble for that. I mean, I was a fucking, I was a fucking nerd. I've been afraid of everything my whole life. Like I, but you know, whatever, like, I don't, you know, whatever. I'm glad you, did you get So did you get out of the situation you were in? Yeah, not completely unscathed, but it wasn't it wasn't nearly as bad as it could have been. I um went back to my college not that long ago and f because there was a reunion for my sketch comedy group, um which is such a cool thing to say. <laughs> and um we 
got in trouble with the cops because we were out drinking till like three or four in the morning. And based off of like my memory of what the campus police like would have done, like I thought we were all going to jail. <laughs> like, and I mean, I really did. I was like, fuck, well, like, what am I going to do? Like, all right, like when I get out, you know, I'll figure it out. I mean, it's so privileged too. It's so like just Massachusetts white girl shit. But then we, you know, the police were like really like nice and they were like, sorry guys, it's Brighton. We have to like close up early here tonight. And I was like, are these the same people that I was afraid of my whole life? Because those people I would like, I would say hi to on the street. Like I didn't under, I couldn't understand. It had been so long since I'd been home and like seen police that I guess it also made me realize how old I am because (laughs) they were like, Oh, we can't jail these people. They look like they're in their thirties. Like we're not going to just, we can't scare them. Like it was, um, yeah. Um, I probably could have, I probably should have been in so much trouble my whole life than I have been. I think about that a lot. Um, but anyway, her parents tell her like, don't worry about it. We know what Jake is up to. This piece of shit. He's going down. We're going to take you to the police. We're going to talk to the police. Again, another moment of like sincere privilege because to have the confidence to think you can walk your daughter into a police station and have her basically say, everything but I stabbed this girl and know that she's going to get off is pretty confident. So let's play this clip of them talking to the cops about everything that happened. One eleven oh six to one twelve eleven. So he has evidence, including the murder weapon, in his possession right now. I guess he still has it or he got rid of it somehow. I don't know. Why did you lie to us when we questioned you the first time? She's 17, detective, and very traumatized. Now, what's important is that she's coming to you now with the truth. And we do appreciate that. That doesn't mean we've cleared her as a suspect. Are you going to question Jake? Tell us everything you know about him. Let her go. Uh, good. They seemed open to the possibility that Jake was involved. I saw the new alarm system. Yeah, new keys on the kitchen counter, code is set. He's driven by twice. Jake? Yeah. Unreal. Unreal. That was so um, cool. She handled that so cool, considering everything she just went through. I think my mom would have just turned me in. I don't think she would have believed me past saying that I woke up with a knife. Um, But, you know, they're all on her side. That's great. Everyone's on the same page. I'm shocked that they did that. I guess that is the right thing to do. I would have probably not not gone into the police station. But yeah, she's sleeping that night um, when a car door closes outside and it wakes her up. And like I wrote in my notes, that's how you know you're traumatized when you're like such a light sleeper that like a car door down the street is going to wake you up. I don't know. Like that's rough. So she heads out to the hallway and her mom's door is closed and she looks in to make sure that, you know, 
she and Alex are okay. And then she heads downstairs. And the suspenseful, the suspenseful music is really doing the heavy lifting in this scene, as it is throughout this whole movie. This, this, the guy who did the music on this, I'm going to find him in a moment. He should be given an award because he really carried this, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a shadow enters the room, but it's just Alex. He tells her that the house is secure and not to worry. He's going to make sure that no one gets in. So then Jake is outside watching all of this from behind the sheer curtains. And he asks himself, why can't you love me? Um, so much talking to himself, but he doesn't have anyone else to play against. So I guess there's that. So then the next day, um, we see her unlocking the code on the door and lets Keisha into the house to talk on, uh, talk to her and check in on her. And when she, she locks the door behind her again, when Keisha's in and Keisha's like, okay, this is like Fort Knox now. And are you afraid that what happened to Maddie is going to happen to you? And she says like, you know, kind of basically. Yeah. And Keisha's like, you know what? You really need to come back to school because things are getting out of hand. And finally, what I assumed would happen as soon as she was called out of the gym for a one-on-one questioning apparently is, is happening now, which is that someone's written murderer on her locker. She is like getting whispered about all over school. Trig is telling people that her parents and her went to the cops with a lawyer. Everyone at school thinks she's about to get arrested. Um, so she says, you know, um, none of this stuff is true. And basically, I was just giving the police information and they're looking at new suspects. And she tells her that she needs to defend herself because people people are going to be crazy at school. Then we see that Jake is alone in the bathroom at his house grooming. I I love a um, I love a grooming. Jesus Christ. I love a grooming moment in a movie with someone of this like sort of caliber of character because it just reminds me so much of that classic Patrick Bateman montage of getting ready in the bathroom before Mm. his big day. It's um, I always feel like it's a nod to that, even if it's not. Um, (laughs) Are you like shocked that it took this long for people at school to get concerned about maybe Brooke being involved? Yeah. And I think part of that is because, um, usually it swings so hard the other way. Like, you know, you, um, especially in like high school stuff, the, the minute something sure. happens, it's like it's, it's whether it's social media, whether it's, you know, the word spreading literally from person to person, it's like, it's like instantly. And frankly, I'm blanking on like how many days have actually passed in the timeline. Um, but it usually, seems like two, yeah, like two you, and change. It may be. I guess maybe if you wanted to sell it as they, the party was like a Friday night and they're back on Monday, like then you can maybe get away with that. Um, but even then it would be going on on like social media over the weekend and stuff like that. But I, it's not something that like took me out of the movie. I was like, Oh wow. It took them like, it was just written on her locker. Like it usually would have been there like dry and everything for two, three days or however long it's been. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> well, I was just going to say that, like, I think that, for me, it took away from the narrative that there's anything wrong with Brooke, because if she was like this known hothead who was dealing with this like diagnosis that basically is a a rage disorder and they waited two days to like maybe 
I, it just took away from maybe the value of that diagnosis for me and that being a part of her character. Because again, I have yet to see her do anything that seems like either A, defiant teen or B, annoyed, emotional teen who's like a, hurt by being accused by something. It just felt like another point of this being dropped because people... Maddie seemed to be holding her diagnosis against her, which is why she explained all of this to Jake in the first place, right? I mean, this is none of Jake's goddamn business. And frankly, that fight that night probably had nothing to do with her IED. (laughs) (laughs) It's just all it that that thread keeps getting thinner for me. Yeah, yeah. And I I think also like tying in with the theme of, of all of this, if you look at the way that Degrassi handled mental illness and for the most part, I mean, from my experience, and granted, I don't have the voice or perspective of somebody who has struggled with that. Um, but in terms of like the high school ecosystem, the way that they did it, especially as they went on, was great. Because when when you're dealing with teenagers and they find out that somebody is, you know, and usually in their words, it's crazy or psycho. And right, that's not what you're supposed to say, but that's what, you know, people say. even Of the times, especially. Right. And so like, but they did a great job of tying what it would actually sound like in high school. Like um, I, 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 if you watch the Netflix version, they did this essentially, it, it was framed in a slut shame storyline, but they did something for Esme where all of Zig's friends would say like, she's the crazy one or she's the psycho one or whatever. And like in going into season five, they, I believe that they were going to do a mental health storyline for her, which was coming obviously. But like it was, it felt very high school. Like people are going to say stuff like that and they're going to write stuff on the lockers and they're going to spread stuff. And that's how it feels. And that's how it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it feels like they just went the complete opposite way, which <laughs> I mean, you know, is a choice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, went to kind of a very John Hughes-esque high school where it was like, you know, pretty much everything was exactly what you would expect. Um, It felt like a little bit of a TV high school in some ways, although it was a little bit like more progressive at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I feel like rumors got started with less seeds of information than, (laughs) than one of their friends being diagnosed with a rage disorder. I feel like that would probably be held against someone constantly like if there weren't doritos in the vending machine the fact that they were a diagnosed rage disorder person like that would be held against them um in real life and definitely on tv so that was an interesting choice um okay so jake is in his bathroom grooming when he gets a call on his phone from ben his only friend, the doorman. Um, this is a quick little moment. One fifteen forty two to one sixteen forty five. Yeah, Mr. Campali, there's a detective Lynn Grinley here to see you. Sure, send her up. And when you left the party, was Brooke still there? That's right. Where did you go after you left? Home. And when was the next time you spoke to Brooke? Uh, the next day. Just texted her to make sure she was all right. Did Brooke say anything to you about what happened after she woke up the next morning? No. Did she ever talk to you about bloody clothing or 
give you a trash bag and ask you to hide it for her? Uh, no. Never. So you know nothing about what happened to the clothes she was wearing at the party? No. I don't. Okay. Um, can I just say I believe he's rich? Like, I believe this character. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that feels completely, like, authentic. It comes... It's it's kind of embedded into his perspective and how he handles every situation. Yeah, it's like the apartment is exactly right for a kid who sort of came into money and has a little bit of a natural flair. But like, you know, it's that sort of like bare industrial chic. You like the confidence that only new money can buy. Mm. Like he, it's all there for him. Like I, I kind of really... Because I tend to bump on the wealth of these characters in Lifetime movies, especially because the set doesn't always match the clothes that doesn't match the attitude. And I feel like they pulled this off here, which is a huge achievement for Lifetime. I never am like, oh, yeah, that person seems to be in the exact financial position that they claim they are. Um, And I thought they did a really good job with that, honestly. And kudos to the actor, by the way. He like, you know, as much as I don't like this part i have to say one i think he's a cutie for a blonde man which i've never i i'm repulsed by blonde men so this is like a huge development but then two like you know i thought he really sold all aspects of it like i really believed him and that's very rare that we get like a great acting performance from a guy in a lifetime movie they're always sort of given the leftover emotional material yeah, and I, I, it's one of those weird things I've probably said this four times now, but it just goes back, and it's something that I noticed right away that we opened with him, and it just felt like, okay, there is such a, a strong reason that this is why it is, because um, Brooke, I mean, Riley, might, you might argue that it's Riley, but like Brooke, in the general sense, is the clear like hero or protagonist of this, um, but uh we no, you know, i mean yeah she's the obvious yeah, <laughs> she's the no, star I, yeah. of the movie <laughs> riley for you is like this like we need a spinoff but um yeah but like for him to open with him and to and sort of go through these um where we see like he is an authentic char- authentic character where he's flawed as hell and he's not you know problematic in, in an insane number of ways but you also get those things where you can see exactly into who he is and it's consistent all the way through Yes. Um, and I will say that this next scene that we're going to play is the moment that I feel like Brooke steps up and is the star of this movie. <laughs> like, this is where all of her sort of passive, why is this happening to me sort of behavior all is redeemed because this girl drives to a rest stop. She pulls over into a dark space in there next to a school bus. And she is hyping herself up the whole drive for like a cry. And you kind of assume, okay, she's just going through a lot. She really thinks she's going to get nailed with a murder charge. But she then cries so much and we don't know what's happening yet, but I'm sure you can guess. She's hyping herself up so much that she picks up the phone once she's in the lot. We see that she has a gun with her. You're like, oh my God, is she going to kill herself? But we've all seen enough of these movies to know, of course, she's not going to kill herself. But yeah. Okay. So she picks up her phone and she she makes a call. Um, and it's probably the first and last person you'd think. Um, this clip is 
11810 to 12003. can't do this anymore. Do what? Calm down. Talk to me. What I did to Maddie. It's all I think about. I can't sleep, and when I do sleep, it's all I dream about. Don't do that to yourself. It was your IED that caused it, not you. No, I'm responsible for her death. I'm the reason she's gone. Even people at school think I did it too. Who cares what those idiots think? Look, I know that you're a good person, Brooke, and that's what matters. No, I'm not. I'm horrible. And the police think I did it too. Well, the police don't have any evidence to convict you, so don't let them put the pressure on you. Jake. I'm done. What does that mean? I just wanted to say goodbye. There's a note in my room explaining everything. No, 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 Brooke, listen to me. Where are you? There- there's things that you don't know. I'm responsible for her death. Let's please meet. Just just let's talk in person. Bye, Jake. I hope you can forgive me. And I hope you find the love you're looking for. You didn't kill Maddie. What? You didn't kill her. Where are you? I'll tell you everything. There's nothing left to talk about. Yes, there is. There really is. But where are you? I'm at a truck stop on Lawson at 145th Street. Okay, stay there. I'll be there in 10 minutes. Don't move. Bro. Okay. I have to say, fucking great little acting on her part. Great scene. Um, You know, we know he's not the person we want him to be because he completely succumbs to this entire plan, which... If he was really evil, he wouldn't have bought any of that. But he gets on board and he comes to meet her. I have to say, just for our makeup fans out there who always want to know about what's going on with hair and makeup, there was a moment. We got a brief moment of a tear slash, I guess, maybe a little bit of a booger that happens when you're wearing foundation. The actress had just a streak of white coming down her face and it was um it was a moment it's just it's not it wasn't i don't think it was like i don't think it was made for tv makeup in in that particular instance but we got such a good emotional performance from her she took over as a star and then he comes to meet her and do what we all know he's about to do which is <laughs> get busted by the cops um so this quick clip is Oh, this is actually kind of a longer clip. We're rounding out here, you guys. 120.35 to 123.43. You're lying to me. You're trying to tell me I didn't kill Maddie so I won't kill myself? No, 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 no. You you were completely innocent, okay? I killed Maddie. What? Why? Just listen, okay? Maddie was not your friend. All she did was keep accusing you and causing you all of this emotional turmoil that you're feeling. So you killed her because of that? No. That night at the party, I saw you talking to that moron Trig. And I got so jealous. 
because before we even got to the party, I could feel you pulling away from me. And the first few times, God, it was so perfect. And it started to change. I don't even get what you're saying right now. I needed to find a way to prove to you that you could trust me, Brooke. We are perfect for each other. So you were trying to blackmail me? No, I needed you to know that you can trust me. I can keep your secret. Okay? So what? You left and came back? Or? No, I sat in my car and I was thinking. And then when I came back inside to check on you to make sure that you were all right. I saw Maddie passed up next to you and then realized what I needed to do. So you knew you were going to kill her that night. You took the knife and you knew you were going to no, do it. No, I got the knife from the kitchen. It wasn't pre-planned at all. I can't believe you killed my best friend. Brooke, I am your best friend. I am. What do you not get about that? You tried to frame me for murder. No, I would have never let you go to prison for that. Yeah, as long as I stayed with you. Yes, exactly. I knew I was going to have to tell you about this night at some point, and I had to tell you tonight so that you don't hurt yourself. Jake, you have to tell the police. You have to tell them the truth. They're going to arrest me. They're not. They don't have any evidence to convict you. You're fine. I'm fine. Maddie's murder is going to go unsolved. And then you, you and I, are going to live happily ever after. Anywhere that you want. Look at me. give a killer a loaded gun, did you? Drop the gun, Jake. It's over. Oh my god. You know, is it sick to say I feel bad for him? I mean, this is like the third movie we've covered just in very, very recent history that ends with someone spilling all on recording (laughs) (laughs) every detail of their crime to someone who's setting them up like this is it's actually i think the third movie in a row that this has been the end and that's the lifetime of it all that's what i love about lifetime is that sort of predictability but i kind of feel bad for him because you'd really have to be stupid to think that you're going to pull off a plan well one you'd have to actually be wrong and crazy and evil but you'd really have to be on another one to think that you can show up and tell someone every detail of how a murder went down and that they're not doing it to sell you out. Right. And, and I guess that's the angle of, well, the only, literally the only reason he tells her is because of what he thinks the alternative to the situation is. Um, Right. Which is her bluffing about her suicide. And so I think in that way, it works to show, it's like it's just it's it's really astonishing how they can take a dude and make him so unbelievably problematic <laughs> but at the same time 
in various Lucia. moments. It's, it's, I mean, I don't know if you have seen you. I've, I've, I think I've referenced it a couple of times, but it's like, it's, it's, it's very similar to that in that it's like you take this now again. I mean, I don't know what the distinction is. I don't, I, Joe and, and you as an app is like a, a full psychopath. Like that's, maybe it's a little different, but like even maybe yeah. it's even worse there because you're taking a guy who is a complete psychopath <laughs> and still giving him these qualities where you're like, oh my God, I, I, go, I was halfway through season one and I'm like, wait a minute, I should not be shipping him with this. Like, what am I, like, what is wrong here? Like, this is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and so it was, it's, it's, it just goes to, I think it's great character work that you can, you know, or at least in this sense, you, it's great character work that's showing how he really feels about her, even though, you know, he's so messed up in so many ways. There's still like these things about him that you're kind of like, oh, well, you're also really dumb because you fell for that. But maybe it's because you were so in love, which I, again, don't get how you were so in love, but you do. And it, you showed it in this moment type of thing. Because just- your childhood was fucked up and you don't know how to receive love and blah, blah, blah. I mean, trust me, I fucking fall for this hook, line and sinker every time. I know I should never feel bad for someone like this, but I'm always a little bit like, Oh, come on. Like, that is just so sad. Like, that is <laughs> so sad that this boy would be so thirsty for normalcy that he would do all of this. Like, you had to do all of this just to get one of the simple things in life that most of us are, you know, not guaranteed, but it's more of a commonality than not that you have people in your life who care about you. It's really hard to not feel for someone who's been written to be completely on the outside when it all comes down to it. Because the actor, again, I think sells not just how delusional he is, but how much he needs this. Like, you yeah. believe him when he says, like, I need you. Yeah. And and that's what makes the button of all of this. Like, it, it just, it makes it almost, it heightens it tenfold, like, at least. Let's just. <laughs> Should we just pull the trigger? (laughs) Brooke goes back to school. She puts a picture up on Maddie's locker telling her that, you know, hey, I miss you. I'm so sorry all this happened. And then we cut to um, the exterior of uh, Jake's apartment building. And then we see some hands go into a box that holds a bunch of Rolexes and probably similarly expensive watches. Um, and this is the final scene of the movie and it's, it's harrowing. It's more harrowing than anything we saw in the hour and 26 minutes leading up to this. Let's play this final clip. One twenty five, twenty four to one twenty six. We can get a lot for this. Serves the ungrateful punk, right? For not helping me when I had cancer. <laughs> what kind did you say I had? Stomach, I think. Maybe colon. I can't remember. <laughs> Sorry, I can't take your call at the moment. Please leave me a message. Mom, please. I really, I really need you. I'm scared. Dude, his parents were the fucking bad ones the whole time. They were worse. If you felt sorry when he told his mom to sit on the floor, you're an idiot. That's what that ending told us. Yeah, that one, that one got me. I was, because I, 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 I don't, I can't, I don't think that, like, there's also the scene where we see him in, whether it's, I think it's prison or jail before he's, you know, sentenced or whatever, but like, he's on the phone with them. Um, or 
I think he's leaving. Well, I don't even know if they took the call, but like, it's just, no, like, they didn't. He, they're ransacking the place as he, sorry guys. Cause we're not IRL right now. So, um, James isn't seeing the movie clips that I'm playing, but he's hearing them. And yeah, he, his parents are ransacking the place without a care in the world. When he calls and says like, I really need you. And yeah. And that's, it's like, I believe that's one of the lines that she says to him in the opening um, or like your father really needs you or something, something of that nature. So it's like a full, <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's also like, yeah, you, you learn to like run the same game on the people who taught you how to play it. And it's, it's um so, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, just the person in me who's like a fan of, prison shows i'm like dude do not be crying like that do you cannot be crying like that because like everyone who's watching you cry right now you are in trouble tonight dude like they're gonna make you miserable like they're just gonna like pick on you oh you are in so much trouble if you allow that emotional display in prison and that's all i that's all i know about prison is you've got to really keep it zipped up tight that's and that's, meet your friends when you come in. Yeah. Don't, don't let anyone think you're a bitch. <laughs> like you're in jail. That's it. It was, it, I was thinking the exact same thing. The first time I saw that scene, I said, oh, this is just going to get worse. <laughs> Can you imagine? They're all going to take his snacks. I mean, it's the, especially the moment they find out he has money, uh, but yeah, I mean, this was a great, pick on your part i really am so thankful that you did this and what i i did love that we got a little i guess you know not just a little surprise for us at the end but um really a uh, sort of a lifetime twist where they're like well you know who the real bad guys are it's not this guy i love it when they do like a these are the real bad guys sort of reveal um this actor who played um Jake Blake Burt. I thought he was really good. I thought he did a really good job in the role, to be honest. I, I don't think it's an easy role. Like it's it's you Yeah, and I think just I think the fact that I'm sitting here thinking about him being taken advantage of in prison. <laughs> um <laughs> after right. what we just like I think that goes I think that speaks to his uh performance. For that is a really good point. <laughs> I mean, I'm I I don't trust myself, so I probably would be thinking that about like, but you're right. That is how you get the audience to know. Now, okay, so Christine Prosperi, is that how you say your last name? I believe so. I don't think I've actually ever heard it pronounced out loud. It's 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 I think that's it, but I could be wrong. I remember that always being a hard thing um with the Degrassi characters when I was watching the show, because I went to like the Degrassi Mall tour. And like Liberty was there and the actor who played Toby was there. And um, both of them had names that if you ask me how they were pronounced when I just thought that versus when I read there, it's like I had a Mandala effect with like a total Mandala effect with like that their names. Like I, <laughs> I had a different spelling in mind. I have no idea. Like, when this show first came out, no one was doing press about this show, and there was no video press really at all. So you never heard anyone say these characters' names out loud. Um, so trust me, I totally understand what you mean when you're like, oh, I've never heard anyone say it. <laughs> um, 
So what is she doing now? So she just did um, The Wrong Cheerleader, which is a movie I think I might have watched or almost watched for one of these. A lot of Lifetime is really into the the wrong right now and at 17. Like right. I went on to the Lifetime Movie Club website to just like glance at what was there for upcoming episodes and everything is like deadly blank, the wrong blank blanket 17 and lifetime you are too good for that you don't need to do that like this is one thing i need to just get off my chest lifetime i know you're listening (laughs) you've got to fucking stop speaking down to the audience like we can figure out someone is 17 without it being in the title like just let it let it happen feel free enough you are enough you don't need to do that I I can put together if someone's deadly and I can definitely tell you if someone is wrong. So just let us let us come to our own conclusions. Give the writers that's who I feel for is the writers who I know did not title their movie that (laughs) and Lifetime said, oh, well, we got to fit it into this lineup. Don't do that. We don't need an at 17 weekend. Let us just call our movies what they're called. Um, but yeah, dude, great pick. I really appreciate um, that you took the time to pick this movie because I know you sent over another movie that was not Lifetime, but also seems like one that people who listen to this podcast might like. What was that movie that you sent over again? Yeah, so that is called um, Kiss and Cry. And it's uh, I think that title is based off of the um, term and figure skating, which I think is when they get their score at the end. I think it's like called the kiss and cry. I'm not, I'm not totally sure on the terminology. Really? Yeah. I think that's where it comes from. Um, that's fascinating. I love a, <laughs> I love a jargon moment. Yeah. Uh, and it stars um, Sarah Fisher who plays Becky Baker in season, in, in Degrassi seasons 12 through 14, um, who personally, I'll just put out, put this out there as one of my favorite characters. She's also one of the most polarizing characters i've ever seen and her development is unbelievable um she event well i won't give it away in case somebody wants to to go on that journey but uh so but the thing about the movie it's it's based on a true story and it's a cancer story and i i'm forgetting the name of the type of cancer but basically in real life sarah's best friend um who i believe was a skater was diagnosed with this thing um and it's like five people have had it or had it at the time or something like it was unbelievable and essentially she ends up she produced a movie um and was the lead in it and she also uh one of the other actors in the movie who plays um the character's boyfriend uh was also on Degrassi and his name is I see here we go with another last name that I'm probably gonna botch I want to say it's Luke Billick but it could be Bilk. I'm not positive. I think it's Billick, um, who played Drew seasons, Drew Torres seasons 10 through 14, who was top five characters for me. Um, and he also plays, uh, he stars in the movie as well. And it's, it's one of the most emotional things I've ever seen. I, I can't, even when I knew I was like going to cry, I was like, please don't do this. I, I know it's coming. I'm not going to do it. You can't like, there's no stopping that. Um, and it's, it's like one of the most touching things that's, uh, and heartbreaking things that you'll, that I think I've ever seen. Uh, so I definitely encourage anybody who's, uh, who that, that appeals or sounds remotely appealing to anybody. Definitely go check it out. I think it's on Netflix. Are the younger kids, um, cause like there wasn't a lot of, I mean, obviously Drake aside, it's almost <laughs> unfortunate. Well, first of all, I do own the URL wheelchair but I will tell you, I hate it 
when people talk about Jimmy in the wheelchair as like, it's almost up there with like, I'm sure for you, like people saying JT, like just, okay, admit it. You've never seen the show. You don't care about these people. Jimmy Brooks was so much more than his wheelchair. I'm not going to hear about it. Like, do not talk about what Rick did to him. Jimmy Brooks was his own individual. Um, but that said, outside of Drake, it's there's not a lot of people from Degrassi who were popping after the fact. Like, it's sort of that bubble of Canadian children's television where they don't make a you know, a similar wage they do on like, you know, with SAG, like it's just a different scale and they don't get royalties and all that stuff. A lot of those kids wind up in a little bit of a purgatory where I think they might take a break after the show and then they don't really go on to continue in acting or to find success in acting. Are there, is there more success with like the later years of Degrassi or does it sort of remain that time capsule a little bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say, I mean, Drake is obviously the biggest one. And that's sort of a weird thing because, like, he's arguably, I mean, he's got, like, every, everybody knows who he is. I don't know if he's top he's three. He's larger than like, life. Right. Like, so even if it, like, wasn't Degrassi, like, he would have been. So, you know what I mean? But everybody Who's knows who he is. Who's paying their bills from acting still? Well, I know that... um there are two other people who I, I would argue like made it, quote unquote, and that was also from around the same time, a little Shanae later. Shanae Grimes and Nina Dobrev, right? Yes, that's exactly where I was going. Um, yeah. <laughs> duh, uh, wait, Molly, duh. Yeah, I mean, like they had great. I was actually, by the way, I don't know. Sorry to interrupt you and go on a tangent, but like, <laughs> do you agree that that was surprising out of the entire crop? Of all, because I thought it was always sort of surprising that they were the two major crossover. Mm-hmm. Well, it's I can't give an honest answer because by the time I had gone back and rewatch, like, and watched those seasons for the first time, I had already known that they were famous for other things. So I kind of came in with like, oh, I know the actress that's going to be playing Mia. Like, I know who she is already because I had not seen that season like beforehand. I wa- I went back and watched those for the first time in college. Um, I still remember like my dorm and where I was sitting when I saw JT's um, death, like I'll never forget that. But so it's, I, I don't know if I can give like an honest answer if they were the ones that I would have thought would make it because I sort of knew that they did going in um, from the later cast though. Oh, I don't think anybody's gotten to that level, but I, I, there are so many people who I think could um, Monroe chambers is one of my favorite actors um, who plays Eli uh, from seasons 10 through 14. Um, I mentioned, uh, I'm going to go with Luke Billick. I think that's how it's pronounced. He's great. I can see him. And, and they are doing things. Uh, you know, Monroe's been in a few movies. I think Luke's been in a few movies. Um, but I would say probably the biggest one is Anna Golia, who played Zoe. And Zoe was in the next class version. So if you did see that one, then you probably know who I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, did she have the crazy colored hair? No, that's Amanda Arcuri, who played Lola. Yeah, Lola was electrifying. Like, I want to see more of that. She was great. So Zoe was, oh, Zoe was, um, had glasses and like pretty curly hair. Uh, no, Zoe was, <laughs> cause I'm trying to, cause she came on in season 13 and then con- she was part of the content continuity of class. Like when it went into Netflix, um, cause my, like, she came on as like the mean girl. She was like the next generation's mean, like queen bee mean girl. But when she got into, um, the Netflix era, it kind of toned down a bit. She ended up 
coming out as a lesbian in season two um, and ended up dating Rasha, who was one of the Syrian refugee characters who they introduced in seasons three and four. Um, I mean, I can, I'll just text you a picture of her. I just looked her up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I remember her. But I, I know a lot of people who love Amanda and Lola was, is, was one of my favorite characters as well. And she, I know she was on an episode of Ransom. Um, I know she's doing other things. I think, I think for her acting is going to be, I, I think it will be her thing. Uh, I mean, and, and so many of them are, are, but the funny thing with, with having teen actors and like true teen actors is sometimes they finish and they're like, well, that was fun. It's not what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's very common. Like there are a lot of people who grew up on Disney Channel or Nickelodeon who live different lives. And I think it's it's weird when people think that's sad because I think that it's okay to not want to be an actor for the rest of your life. And I yeah. think if you grow up in the world of like Canadian television, you're in sort of a little bit of a protected bubble. You're not in Hollywood, you know? Right. So it's a little bit, I can't blame someone being on Degrassi, having the best years of like their teenage life and then going on to start a new chapter. Like that makes the, that makes a lot of sense to me. It's just, um, it's, I think it's like sort of a common thing that people look at that show and they see such great teenage acting and you know, the pressure that goes on people from like, you know, a Disney channel show or whatever, everyone's looking at every cast member wondering what they're going to be doing in five years. And I don't think that Degrassi has that same sort of critical eye. Um, but it's interesting because I feel like there's some people that would have done really well in Hollywood if they chose to go that way. It, it, this doesn't pertain to the later uh, cast, but one of my favorite stories, which I pretty, I'm pretty sure it's true. I would not say it's a hundred percent. I'm pretty positive though, was that, um, and you probably know it since she was your favorite, but uh, I didn't find this out till like a couple of years ago that Cassie Steele was, actually cast to play oh now i'm forgetting her name the lead in high school musical and then she couldn't do it because it conflicted vanessa hudgens character or whatever yes uh gabriella montez i think is the name (laughs) um but yeah she she was like that was her role and then i think it conflicted with season five filming and she couldn't do it and then it became vanessa hudgens i'm like i said i'm like 90 percent sure that's true but i'm not positive so if it turns out not to be true please don't come for me but, uh, I mean, being in my late teens and early 20s with the Degrassi obsession, I probably would have wound up on a list if I had also watched High School Musical. So I didn't have I don't have experience with that. <laughs> but um, Cassie, I've actually interviewed a couple times um, for podcasts and she's, you know, a spark plug. I call her like a spider monkey because she's just like really energies all over the place. Like she's really great in that way. And um it's like so wild because I'll never get over the fact that like we shouldn't have access to this. Like I don't when people get to Hollywood and they're like all comfortable with like just meeting famous people all the time. I'm like, there's always going to be a part of me that is faking a coolness around that <laughs> because it shouldn't be normal. It should not be normal to meet pop stars or to like hang out with people that are on TV shows that you like, like it should, it should always be something that's exciting to you. And I think it's like really scary when it gets too normal because as much as like actors, writers, all those people are people like, I think part of the magic and like why I really enjoy this industry is because I'm a fan of it. 
Yeah. And I like really love that part of it. Um, and um, I, st- I created a website called Hello Giggles. And I remember Lauren Collins came to a screening for um, I was hosting like a screening for Hello Giggles at like Soho House. And she came one night and was really sweet. And I just was like, you know, I shut down like I'm so bad at making sure that people know that I'm a fan of them. No, I'm a fan because I just like sort of am like, I shouldn't be talking to you. Like I admire you way too much to be like looking at you right now. Like I don't deserve it. Um, But yeah, it's like, um, you know, it's, it's, I could never, I could, for example, like the fact that Kevin Smith was able to get up in the mix, even being Kevin Smith, I would probably be humbled walking on the Degrassi set. I would be so uncomfortable with how much of a life dream it was. Well, if I can, if I can be honest for a second, I've been super lucky to um, have been able to visit the set twice. Um, And it was weird. The first time I got there, when you like, when you get there, you, there's a gate and it opens. And like the first time it opened and like the school's behind it and you see the lot and you see like the big wall with the Panther sign and the basketball hoop and all that stuff. It was like, Oh, this is real, you know? Um, but the second time was cooler because one of my best friends is actually, he's by far like the most famous online Degrassi fan. He has like, um, Carrie's Degrassi blog and, and, and everybody from the show knows who he is. Um, and I think they used to watch his things on set, <laughs> uh, but he's become a really good friend of mine and he got an invite to, um, a like book launch party that Steven Stone was having. I think this was in 2018. I can't believe how long it's been. Um, and he asked like, can I bring a plus one? And they said, yes. And he reached out to me and I was like, oh, like it was perfect. Cause it was like spring break for me and from university. And so I got to go to this like get together with all of these Degrassi people. And to your point about being sort of uncomfortable, there was a moment where we were in the lobby of uh, where it was and we were walking towards the elevator and this woman, she was like real short, got into it. We were about 20, 25 feet out and went up. And when we got to the elevator and he pushed a button, he turned to me, he's like, do you know who that was? And I was like, no. And he was like, that was Charlotte Arnold who played Holly J. And I was, I almost, Oh my God. <laughs> um and even before that when we walked in there was like four or five of the cast members from next class and that, at that point the show had just like gone off it was early 2018 um and to the right of us where the uh person like checks you in to make sure you're on the list was stefan and i didn't realize how tall he is or snake principal simpson aka he's got like four people know him four different ways um and he's like really i don't, i looked up at him i'm like oh i did not know he was that tall um <laughs> but yeah it was like one of those moments where it, I felt like I'm not supposed to be here. And it, it was never, I mean, it was a great night, but it was like one of those things. I think it's partly in my pin tweet on Twitter, but uh, it was, so we got to take a cast photo with them. And it was one of those things that it was like that first moment where I'm like, this is, I knew I wanted to do this, but now I know it's like what I need to be doing. This is what I want to be doing. Um, and so that's kind of like a fun little story. <laughs> Being on set is like a very, yeah, it's like, you're like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Um, I, I, as much as I would absolutely go to Degrassi community school, I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't think I could handle it. Like, I really, I don't, I mean, that's like, I don't know. I just have also, I have, I think we all sort of have a list of things that we hope 
people we hope we never meet, places we never go so that it doesn't lose its magic. And I, for some reason, that's on my short list with like Gwen Stefani, oddly, like who's <laughs> problematic. And I know that, but like I adored her so much growing up that if I met her and it was anything less of perfect, like less than perfect, I would probably die. Yeah. And like I've, <laughs> I've like, you know, I've been around, man. Like I, you know, but at the same time, like when I hear you tell that story, first of all, I'm so, um, happy for you that you got to go. I also love that being an American, you said I left university because I call it university too, even though we went to college. It's the weirdest thing because they also don't use uh, freshmen, sophomore, junior, senior. So anytime I'm talking, cause I have like a lot of friends in Toronto who are also up and coming writers, but we're in two different industries. So anytime I'm talking yeah. them, and I'm like, Oh yeah, it's because for us it's like college, but for them, university and college are two yeah. completely different things. Grade uh, nine. <laughs> yeah, it's grade nine. It's grade ten. It's you know, but so when I'm like, oh yeah, it was my junior year, they're looking at me like, it was your what? <laughs> um, and so it's like I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta remember, I gotta check where I'm at. And another thing off of what you said is like when you look at someone like Stefan Brogan, is that how you say his last name? Uh, Brogan. With an Brogan, R. you yeah. have to give him a. I don't know. For me, without even meeting him, I assume there's some like greater lesson about the industry and television when you talk about someone like him, because he must have such an ease and a kindness about him that's almost unreal. Because this guy has been working on television consistently since he was a teenager on the same show. Like this crew wants to fought, like continue to work with this guy. And when I was watching, um, you know, when the I'm upset video came out, I was to not to, you know, make a joke about a joke. I was fucking upset because I, I didn't feel like anyone deserved my Degrassi like that. I was like, how dare all these fucking people get a reunion from my friend Aubrey Graham when like I've been sitting over here a starved fan for years. Like I was so annoyed to watch the Internet enjoy it because I was like, where were you? When I was going through this in my dorm room, where the fuck were you all those years? Right. But it, there was like these interviews that came out like entertainment tonight and stuff with, um, with Spike slash Archie slash, you know, whatever you want to call him. Right. And, and, uh, Miriam and I think, um, the actor who plays Spinner were doing it all together. And oh, I know which one you're you talking could, about. Yeah. You you can just tell he like is that person. Like he's a go-to for them. Like I feel like they probably don't, but they probably could text him whenever and he would be like a guiding force because he has like he's on his Marishka Hargitay shit of just like working on a show consistently until the end. It, uh, I I'm I've been spending the last 45 minutes trying to go back on or back and forth on whether or not to say this, but why the hell not? Um, he is unbelievable. He's one of the nicest people I've ever met. And I've been lucky enough to somehow get to Toronto at least once a year for the last three years. This year is probably not going to happen. But um, last year I was there. Uh, I actually got to have lunch with him and his wife and the publicist of the grassy. Um, and he actually like co-owns a pub in there. It's, 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 it's incredible. And he's, he's one of the nicest people I think you'll ever meet. Like he's, he's 
tall as hell and you would like it's intimidating for like the first 10 seconds um and then you start talking to him and you're like this is the nicest dude i've ever met uh and it's 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 incredible <laughs> yeah i mean you'd have to be for like all those people to want to work with you and like i'm sure some people have sort of more naturally moved on from the show but that's just such a like a working relationship that you can't fake and that's just so obviously there with that cast and with him and with the you know the whole sort of production um it's it's like really great to see someone have that long of a career off of something that I'm sure was sold so short to him when he first started as a teenager um you know I'm sure just like in America when someone picks up a pilot they're like well we'll see you know we'll see what happens probably expect it not to go and then the delight of finding out that you get to play that character for so long and just be beloved by so many people like how cool is that yeah i, I think what'll end up happening is i'll tag him in this um and and he, he'll either listen or he won't but what i will say is if he is um it's uh it's definitely one of the things on my bucket list is to have him direct a pilot that i write because he um he's done a lot of directing for him i don't remember like when he became or like when he became uh, when he started to direct a lot of the episodes, I want to say it was like season eleven ish. Uh, but he's like, I when when I watch something that he directs, it's because it, he also directs a lot of the episodes of a show called Holly Hobby. That's also a Canadian like tween show, um, and I just love uh, love his work. And so that's kind of like a little secret goal of mine is to have him direct something. But um, he'll he it, it, I can always just send him the the timestamp that I said this and see if he'll. <laughs> Uh, hear my goal, but yeah, no. Oh, I cool. hope, I hope so. And by the way, like, what are the odds that someone I knew but probably don't know in real life retweeted your tweet and I found it? And I'm just like, honestly, I feel so blessed to have a next generation of Degrassi fan who can talk to my old ass about this <laughs> show that I have loved since I was 13 years old and like rediscovered at 18 when the next generation came out and just like held my hand and made me feel safe for a lot of years. And like, it just, I think it goes to show sort of the effect that this show has on people and that it's like a bonding point. Like, I mean, you and I have talked about literally nothing else other than we love this show. Um, and so like, and that's, that says something that like, you know, two people can like loosely text, set something up, get on the phone and talk about a movie for like three hours. And it's, um, I think, you know, based in not just both the fact that we, you know, want to be heard on mic, obviously, probably partially, but that we love this fucking show. And I, um, yeah, I'm so thrilled that you got to do this today and thank you for being here and doing this whole thing. Um, where can people find you online? Where should people be watching Degrassi if they want to catch up? Like, tell me everything and we're going to put it all in our description as well, but I want to give you a minute to sort of talk about all the things you're passionate about and where people can find you if you want. Oh yeah. So, well, first, thank you. It's been an incredible pleasure to, uh, to come on. Uh, let's start with, um, Degrassi because that is a, everybody is, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people tweet Netflix to say, put like the old, like put the uh, OG show on or put right? blah, blah, blah. It's like, if you just go to YouTube, <laughs> um, and type in Degrassi the next generation, you'll find, I believe they've uploaded in high definition every season. Um, 
Yes. Like, I sometimes it will come up in my recommended, but I didn't know if it was like Kosh or not. But it's Kosh. <laughs> yeah, I've I've I'm currently in a like knee deep in a season thirteen rewatch. So I can it's it's definitely legit. It's it is the show. Um so yeah, if you, from season one through fourteen, obviously next class is on Netflix. Um and uh, so yeah, you can find that there. I highly encourage um, anybody who has never seen it or who wants to rewatch it to go and do that. Um, as far as myself goes, uh, you can find me on Twitter at scripts by James, and it's the same for Instagram. Well, I'm almost never on Instagram. It's kind of a weird thing. Um, but yeah, I'm a up and coming TV writer. It's the Degrassi is the type of stuff that I would love to write. That tween teen sort of figuring out your voice, even why um stuff and it's it's what my um, i love high school shows and anything that's in that sphere so it's what i hope to write and i mean look let's be real honest goal and you know when you look at people like stefan and even um adamo who played marco like he is so passionate about the show uh and i I would not be surprised if it does come back at some point um and you know that's that's always see my my uh dream job so we'll (laughs) we'll see but, uh, yeah, One you thing you me. should never be surprised about is whether or not Degrassi comes back, you guys. Yeah. Like, that is that is one thing that is constant as any. It's like death, tax, and Degrassi, okay? Like, it's coming up. It will always be back. I refuse to believe any other scenario. And, my friend, not on- I would like to not only, like, just invest in you at wherever you are now and just be like, okay, clocked it. Like, it's all happening. But... I hope to God someday you and I are sitting in a Degrassi writer's room fucking cheersing some Diet Cokes because it we deserve it, baby. After all of this, come on. How far we've come, we deserve it. 100%. Um, you're a delight. I'm going to link all of your stuff in the description of this. I kind of I, – I don't – I don't need to get off anymore. I'm not going to whatever the next thing I was going to go to is, but I simply just respect your time. So I'm going to let you go, <laughs> but it was so nice to talk to you and thank you so much. I, um, you know, things are a little different during quarantine. So these aren't really how we show up in the world normally as episodes, but I really thank you so much for everything. And I hope you have a really good night. I'm glad you found that tweet and we were able to do this. Thanks for having me on. Please stay in touch. Okay. Thank you so much, you guys. I'll talk to you later. Bye. I'm sick of playing games. It's got to get down to a trio. Nothing's going to change the way that I feel. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.